Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Have an important discussion about some developments in regard to in really really just kind of the way this has developed the entire time, how from the very beginning, there's been a narrative that was set. And interestingly enough, it reminds me of sort of the beginning of the COVID-19 timeframe where Donald Trump and his administration, as we seem to commonly see in the U.S. government, grabbed the microphone, set the narrative, told us what we were supposed to think. And now we can look back and see that the vast majority of that was, in fact, not what we were supposed to think. And even people that were still supporting of Trump and still supporting of the Republican side still can't seem to kind of understand what that looked like. Some people anyway. But we saw the same thing in this conversation in regard to how, you know, this all started with October 7th. This is Israel's 9-11 atrocity propaganda, just all the things that were laid out really aggressively right in the beginning. And all of the Western media towed those lines and it all just pushed forward. And now only, you know, after the fog of war, the fog of breaking news, all the terms they use to hide the fact that they're just wrong all the time. We're looking back very quickly and seeing we were lied to about a lot of this stuff. But the same people want you to push past it and go, how dare you look back there? Look at what we're pointing at now. Well, the truth is that most of what's been pushed forward has been dishonest, if not blatantly misrepresented. Lies. So today what we're going to talk about is a really important article that is sourced incredibly well to intelligence, IDF, people in the know in the Israeli military and the government apparatus telling you, telling anybody that will listen, that what they're doing in Gaza is not just pinpoint targeting Hamas, but you know, like we even need to be convinced of that, destruction, not accuracy, but that they're now discussing that this is not new post-October 7. This is something that's been ongoing. The way that they understand the civilian casualties, decide what is an acceptable amount, even bombing buildings just to bomb buildings in order to scare or kill civilian populations into doing what they want them to do. And in many cases, that is in regard to Hamas that we want to murder their families so they know that they won't, you know, that they decide not to help these groups. My point in talking about this today is not just to say that this is a crime. Obviously, these are crimes, but to show you the intense nature, the malicious, vicious, sinister nature of the Zionist entity and what they are carrying out against innocent people. And understand that even if you think like the Donald Trump conversation about how we're going to go after their families, it's if some contorted, backward, broken reason you think that makes sense, that's that's up for you to decide. Obviously, from a moral perspective, that's detestable and disgusting. But either way, the point is that these are people that they claim are connected, that they uh, they allege are their family or that they're connected or that they live in the same building of or they passed him one day on the street. I mean, that's how dumb this gets, how abstract and even worse. These things aren't even verified. They state these things in the high-minded journals of the New York Times and Washington Post will just say, well, this is what was reported. Interestingly enough, when you get conversations from pretty much any adversary area, you obviously get something very different. So we're going to talk about this really important article, which is the earliest part of the show today. We're going to then go on to talk about the shifting narrative as we've continued to see people like the Pope even standing up and saying, this is not war, this is terrorism. In no way does that mean I support and, and believe in the Pope or even the organized religious aspects of this, despite being a Christian. I'm very concerned about many number of different, any number of different things in regard to organized religion in particular. But 
not least of which are the connections and actions through this Pope and, and many others that have ignored and covered up outright obfuscated or covered up pedophilia, sexual abuse. Anyway, the point is any of these people, just because we say, look at what they're saying does not then mean that we blindly believe in them or think that they're always telling the truth. The fact that we even have to say that these days is just a sense of, it shows you how bad of a way we're in. But then we're also going to get into some very, very interesting developments in regard to new settlements, which we already told you were coming. The idea that before even October 7th, they were saying, we're going to build more illegal settlements. Of course, they don't call them illegal, but they are. But no way you can get away from that. Even the United States, the Washington, the White House said, don't do that. They're illegal, but nobody ever does anything about it. But now they're building a new one. Now, there was a little bit of confusion about where this was. It appears to be in the Gaza envelope, which is just, you know, basically along the outskirts of this controlled area of Gaza. The point is that it's illegal. And while this is ongoing, they're still building more settlements. It just shows you the reality of what this is, this the colonial settler project that it is, which we're supposed to, we're not, we're all supposed to acknowledge as somehow archaic and old and bad, except when Israel does it, then it's democracy and freedom. But we're also going to get into the difference of opinion coming from Israel around these projects and how from a U.S. perspective, it's all good and positive and freedom, but most Israelis disagree, even though we're being told that we're fighting for them. No, you're actually fighting for the Zionist agenda through the U.S. government. But we're going to get into finally in a real big point about the misinformation. Some really good catches, one from DD Geopolitics, catching one of these Hasbara propagandists on Twitter accidentally using the wrong account when responding to Netanyahu as if he was from some kind of Indian side of the argument, but he caught himself. And it's very, very important to see this, as well as all the many different examples of lies. He just People like Eli David, yet again, just blatantly misrepresenting what a crowd is saying in Arabic. And when you can easily prove that they're not saying, but they just don't care. That's desperation for you. Knowing that there's millions of Arabic-speaking people around the world, they're going to say, well, that's not true. That's not even remotely. Here is a terror calendar. Here are their names. Same game. They know people will see it. I guess they just don't care. But important stuff. Well past this conversation, some ceasefire things, hostages, and so on. But if we have time, we'll see what we get to. Let's start today with a important kind of peripheral, a couple of points in regard to some foreign policy stuff that connect with the larger point, but one just because everyone's talking about it in general. As I tweeted when this first was, or I saw this yesterday, when Kissinger has died, I said, well, hey, finally, we get some good news, right? Which I'm usually not the one to do that because as much as I've said many times, as much as, you know, Biden, for example, I've said before, where you you watch him in one of his senile moments and just as just a compassionate human moment, I go, oh, that's sad. But then immediately go, oh, but wait, he's a terrible war criminal, so I don't think we should care. But, you know, you're you're allowed to have compassion even for your enemies. That's what we, you know, it's it's the two-party paradigm and the politics and the that stuff that keeps us from pretending, you know, it's like the right-wing manly, only drink beer and eat meat. And, and that's, that's, there's very few of that kind of extreme side of the, most people can find things in different, you can be a manly man without all those things. And you can be, you know, that's, it's the, it's the way that politics warps the way we see the world, right? At this point, of course, you can, you can have compassion for your enemies while still seeing them as enemies, while still holding them to account. In my point saying that, this person, I, I, quite frankly, I don't think I have compassion for Kissinger, but the point is still the same. Is it just a horrendous war criminal? 
And just like we see with every with McCain or anybody else, we see the tour of, oh, he was such a wonderful person. He did so much good for humanity. You know, all the rest of the war criminals telling you what a great not war criminal he was. Because when they die, they want those other war criminals to say he was a great humanitarian. He did it all for the people. It's never true. But I wanted to read this for you. Red, uh, red I'm not familiar with the, their work. I just saw this on, on Twitter. Red uh, ScreamNet, looks like. Henry Kissinger, one of the world's most notorious war criminals, has finally died. Let's take a look back and remember him for all the things he did. Because you're going to find these in the exact opposite light. So I thought that was humorous, that it's going to be all of the wonderful thing. And look, I'm not going to say that you can't find something that you can objectively say was a positive end for somebody or even America. But at the end of the day, when looking at the full body of work of any of these people, they have been complicit in and absolutely accountable for some of the worst atrocities that you can possibly think of right now. There's just no way you wipe that out by doing something else. Now, it says orchestrated a military coup in Chile. And these were some of the worst oppressive dictator. Like, the, we, this is, we've had a lot of conversations about the different South American people, the Pinochets and the different really, really, really bad is where I was going with that. But my mind jumps to the current point today. The Al-Nusras, the Hyatt Shams, the Saudi Arabias, right? The, the, the groups that they continue to support that are the worst. Anyway, the point is, this is the person we're talking about. This is the Pinochet dictatorship in Chile. Tens of thousands of people forcibly displaced, executed, their children stolen, given away under false ideas. Yep, that's that's what the U.S. government supported. Gave the green light to the Argentine and dictatorships to murderous crackdowns, which saw thousands kidnapped, tortured, and killed. Told General uh, Suharto, quote, it is important that whatever you do succeeds quickly. Right before the Indonesian army murdered at least a quarter of a million uh, Timorese during the illegal Indonesian occupation. Right. It shouldn't surprise you these days to be able to look back and go, oh, all those terrible things we were told about. Turns out the U.S. government was involved. Shocking. Sabotage Vietnamese peace talks for its own his own political gain. Expanded the war in Laos and Cambodia. Advocated for the bombing of anything that moves. Estimated two million Vietnamese dead. Carpet bombed Cambodia with some of the some of the, those are some of the most horrific images. Right. The images you've seen that have just permeated through time. Some of those, like I think that that really famous one of the young girl naked running through the street, right? These are, these are, it's just, it's amazing that we talk about these things in school and in lectures. Rarely do these things come up. Who was involved and why and who allowed it and who funded the worst people that drove it into reality. And then finally, the really one point I wanted to say, people will debate all day long about who was involved and what they did and why, that blah, blah, blah. This, you can't deny. Public record. He said openly. Well, technically, it was made. This is a real statement. Let's put it that way. But there's a lot of stuff today that wasn't, I think at the time was not, they did not think this would become public knowledge. He said, quote, the illegal we do immediately. The unconstitutional takes a little bit longer. Yeah, guys, that's not just Kissinger, you understand. This is the illegal, constitutional. These are things that they use against you. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that the Constitution is something that's only used against people. The point is they don't care about those things, but they will happily pretend something is unconstitutional when they want to use that or stop it from happening or blah, blah, blah. They don't care about those things. That's the point. That's the point. The illegal we do right away because we don't care about the laws. The unconstitutional, well, we, that takes a little longer, but we also violate that is the point. Right? Rest in, you know, not peace. Now, look, this is another point I thought was important, just interesting how people are 
almost kind of pushing away from the Ukraine discussion and going, oh, well, it's time to wrap that one up now that we're completely invested over here and we don't talk about that anymore. With no metrics met, no changes, no like stopping bad guy Putin, just let's just pull away from it and say, oh, we did our best. <laughs> it's just like, it's just so comically stupid how the, how these people who I don't even think are aware of themselves, they think this is just what we're doing. Like they really think they look at themselves in the mirror and think they're fighting the best fight and they're out there doing the right thing and they can't stand back and go embarrassed that they would scream that everything everywhere must marshal to make this stop. And then, oh, wait, not now this one. Now we just don't talk about that. Oh, let's wrap that one up. Like, I don't think they really recognize how dumb that is. Like, I think that these are the people that have been allowed to think that they're that smart and they're not really that smart. I mean, quite frankly, I'm watching these people talk and we'll go through some of the videos today. and I'm just blown away by these people in the highest positions of punditry. And, and is that, if that's even how you say that, or, or new me, news media or politicians. And I'm just listening to them talk. Piers Morgan, for example, these people, and you're going, these people aren't even that smart. Like these are the co- a collection of the most petty, mindless, broad stroking of hypocritical people I've ever seen in my life. And they're all brand berated around as if they're the smartest, most intelligent people that know all of the, it kills me. I'm not necessarily saying I'm that smart, but I'm sure as hell smart enough to see that they're not that smart. Now, the point here, that all came from the point about people still pushing Ukraine. Let's get back to this, Ryan. Quit quit going off on your tangents. Louis DeCruz, who I'm not familiar with, but somebody, I guess, posted this saying, I guess, in surprise that I was calling him out, I guess, which I kind of did because he was caught lying, in my opinion. And I'll make that clear point in a second. But here's what he says. This Slava Ukraini. All these different statements. He says the de- the defaming of Zelensky has gone up considerably. Right. It's not hard to defame an open, you know, the leader of an open neo-Nazi element that has been conducting ethnic cleansing for a long time, who is completely, you know, well, we can get into all the tangential points about drug use, whatever else. The guy is not somebody we should be looking up to. But he says this, the man's a hero. He says he's even losing the eyesight. Oh, because he's got his glasses on. He's so important. Still wearing that same old dumb green shirt that he always wears from stress, apparently. And maybe stress because he thinks he might be assassinated by the U.S. because he's lost importance to them. And being without natural daylight so much. I guess because you just know he's, you know, these people act like they know what's going on. Those who criticize him would have ran had they been in the same position. Because we know, right? You just know that. Anybody else would have run. Because I'm, I'm, I guess, psychic. The man's own generations, Winston Churchill. Or our, excuse me, the man's our generation's Winston Churchill. That's what he said. To some people, that means a big, important thing. Oh, man, mentioned Churchill was praised and important, other, you know, other than the fact that he was an unbridled, disgusting racist and a very, very terrible person as well that did horrible things to people around the world and the guys that Britain needed to do what they needed to do. Even if you think that was in the benefit of Brit- British people, it was absolutely openly at the expense of literally anybody else. But, you know, he's the greatest in our history. The point is that this man being compared to somebody that, that, that at the very least we pretend was a, a great hero in our history. I mean, it's not only insulting to that illusion, which I don't think is real. It's, it's incredible to pretend after the failed effort and the absolute implosion of what they were trying to accomplish and the lies and egregious actions and torture and murder and rape and everything else that happened. And then pretend that he's our, this generation's Winston Churchill. <laughs> it's just like, this is the clumsy, this is how bad everything has gotten. Now, the reason I wanted to point that out is just to show you how desperate this all is. And how the worst people in the world right now, and I mean like objectively in my opinion, 
are are all being framed as like the heroes of our time by the other worst people in the world that are funding them and supporting them. And people see through it. At least that's what I think. Tell me what you think, especially if you think I'm wrong. Quite frankly, I think it's plainly evident that people see through this right now. But this person, actually, well, th- we just talked about this guy specifically and this uh, video done by Owen Jones in this show yesterday. Entitled October 7th narrative further collapses in the secret U.S. plan to forcibly displace all of Palestine. And we talked about one of the most important ones early on this was that this screening, this person was part of a screening of the supposed special screening from the IDF. And what did he say? And you can listen to it. We went over it in depth yesterday. He said there's no proof of beheaded babies, no proof of Hamas killing children, no proof of rape, no proof of beheading humans alive. Hamas asked Israeli party goers if they were soldiers or civilians. That doesn't line up with what we're told, does it? Why would you ask them whether they were soldiers if you were just murdering everybody there? Because we know that's not what happened anymore. And I'm not saying that means that we... It's just as likely that Hamas killed an individual of their own accord as any Israeli IDF would have. But what we need to understand is from a whole level, it's very clear that the blunt, all-encompassing narrative they spun in the beginning is just not true. Especially since we know the IDF 100% killed their own people to some degree. It's starting to seem like the majority, quite frankly. And that's per their people, mind you. They're not going to hear that and see it in Fox News, but they're screaming it in Israel right now. Just look at Israeli media. Even they're talking about it. They're trying to bring down Haaretz right now because they keep saying things they don't want you to hear. Like the helicopter people shot their own people. That was a recent article. They got upset about that. The point is that this screening exposed something. One, that he says, I didn't see any of this. He called U.S. journalists that were there, and they said, I didn't see that either. He called the journalists from Britain. They didn't see that either. But this person and some others were saying, I saw it all. They said, I saw a video of a woman getting cut open with her baby being taken out. And I can't take it. I need to take a break from the internet, but I'll come back and post it, I promise. Despite the fact that this was today, and he still hasn't posted it. Not on the website, not on his Twitter account. And this person still says, I didn't see any of that. So that's what they mean by exposed. I don't know who this person is, but quite frankly, why these people would lie about that. Or how about in reverse? Why he would tell the truth and literally everybody else would say, I didn't see that. Obviously, one of those seems far more likely. Well, you can decide for yourself. But I think that's important. And I just want to show you, interestingly enough, the same person that I think is blatantly lying for the Zionist agenda is also pretending that Zelensky is this generation's Winston Churchill. So now you see how that comes together. Obviously, there is something fishy going on when it comes to all of these wars and the government's pushing them. Now, opening this up into what's currently happening to kind of start there before we get into the main article that I want to get into today. Mohammed Shihada points out, and that this is the same things I'm confirming from people, whether it's Robert and people he knows on the ground or anybody else, that we what we're told, even through the supposed ceasefire, which is not even remotely what it was, it is just not happening. Now, why Hamas in that sense is not pointing that out as far as I can tell, not to call it claiming that they violated the ceasefire by not doing what they claim they would is 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 up for you to decide. I honestly think it's because Hamas doesn't necessarily need them to meet their end of their bargain. Be, like strictly from a political sense, like, because you can point out that Israel hurting their killing the hostages while they're there. Well, that benefits Hamas, right? Because that then they can point it out and say Israel did this. That doesn't mean that they would do it intentionally, but it could put them in harm's way. I mean, 
These, I, I don't put anything past these people. They are not. They, remember, this comes from the same entities that are doing this. Israel, the United States, funding, arming, and using this group for a very long time. I'll end with a clip for, like about that that we've talked about many times. But what's interesting is if they'd stood up and said, look, they did not put the, the aid in like they said they did. They did they, they've been shooting people in the West Bank that they claim are Hamas, but we're supposed to be at a ceasefire. Like If they would have said this, they could have argued Israel did not meet its demands. But then I would be willing to bet you Israel would argue something else and say they did this first. And then all of the West would say Israel claimed they broke the ceasefire. Wow, this has gone in the past. So I think it behooves Hamas, no matter what Israel does, to wait and let Israel make the argument of, of you know, the initiator of the breaking of it. Just an overview thought. So my point is they're saying they spoke with five people in different parts of South and Northern Gaza. Seven days of ceasefire didn't change much. Zero electricity, shops totally empty, immense difficulty getting even brackish water, which in many cases makes you sick. Hours long queues just to get bread or plain rice, rubble everywhere, full societal collapse. Now, obviously, not everything was in the, in the agreement, but at the very least, it was unfettered access to aid. That's never been the case. Not only did Israel in their own statements make the stick, the, they never even used the same terminology. They just said substantial aid. Well, to them, that means a very different thing, doesn't it? And we're seeing that as they bring in per, a, a single percentile of what they actually need throughout the day. Now, Sam Husseini also points out some very interesting shifts in all of this. One in particular that I've also noticed, as well as this discussion here about the, the Hamas ISIS, all these different terms. That's why one of the reasons I started with the opening about the narrative. That is, they're shifting now. Their, their explanations, their justifications, but day by day, they change. Like, let's not forget in the very beginning, the point was, well, we can't show you all the evidence because it would get censored. And then we don't want that, even though they've never stopped showing you all these terrible images. So then why did you still not share the Because they never had images of 40 beheaded babies because it's not real. But that's what they said. Don't forget, Israel's main account made that case. We'd show it to you, but we just can't. It's not true. They've been caught egregiously lying, verifiably so, many times. Now, he says, Blinken has shifted his language from right to defend Israel to right to protect itself. Now, this is a very important, and I think a very, very obvious shift. It says the United States support for Israel's right to protect itself from terrorist violence is compliance in, in, in compliance with international humanitarian law. It's not. <laughs> That's just a dumb statement. It's like saying the murder of that man was in, the, in compliance with the law. Well, it obviously wasn't because you murdered him. So that's a lie. Just saying that does not change the fact that you're murdering children in plain sight more than we've ever seen in any time frame this small and this small of an area in history. But, you know, we're trying, though. That's that's what we're going to get into to start is the reality that they're not trying. And it's now been openly admitted by the IDF. But it says this may or may not be meaningful. I do think it is. This is what Sam says. Maybe posturing for release of more captives or such, but noteworthy. My opinion is that they don't want these people back. Now, that seems like a harsh opinion to some people, but I think their actions have made that abundantly clear. And we're going to get into that early about the Bebas family, which I, I told you, I saw this coming. Now they're claiming they, that that's a demand. And Hamas is saying, as they've said earlier, by the way, that that's a family that was killed because of the bombings. Now, they could be lying, of course. But it's interesting how this is developing because we know that they have been indiscriminately bombing. So it's not hard to wrap your mind around that they could have killed them. And of course, Hamas could have killed them in order to make it look like Israel did it. 
All these are possible. My point, though, is that people that will blindly take at face value what Israel says without any evidence, and then even ignore what Palestine says or Gaza or Hamas says with some evidence or none for that matter, but a one-sided perspective. We have to acknowledge that. It's sort of like saying you see a video from somebody that, you know, of a, a hostage just says one thing and you go, that's not true. They lied about X, Y, and Z, or they're misrepresenting that. But then when Israel puts one out, you blindly take it at face value, right? Obviously, we can all see that that's a one-sided thing. You should be questioning all of it, shouldn't you? But here's what it says in the State Department post. Secretary Blinken's meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu on the 30th today. The secretary reaffirmed the United States support for Israel's right to protect itself from terrorist violence. Now, again, the reason that's important, the right to defend yourself was the entire point from the very beginning. You know how many times we heard that? We all know. It's like build back better and all the different things. Well, in, in, in lockstep, everybody, every media apparatus, every person across the board, they have the right to defend themselves. They have the right to defend themselves. That was just endless. And all of a sudden it went quiet. Now they're saying something very different. Why? Well, first of all, because the right to defend yourself is absurdly redundant, seeing as how literally everybody in a general sense has the right to defend themselves. So what you wanted was us to ingrain that in anything they do. As you murder a child in plain day, you go, die, that's the right to defend ourselves. But also it came into the understanding and they didn't, they, I think, didn't expect this kind of transparency or rather a growing awareness of the reality that they're occupying this area. Therefore, they forego the right to self-defense, especially with the idea that they are ma- they are not respecting the rights of the people as the belligerent occupier point of the civilians that they are occupying. So in any stretch of imagination, under international law, human rights, anything, according to all the experts, they literally do not have this right. So they shift the term. Because how can you claim they don't have the right to protect themselves? But you see, this also gets really insulting. Explain for me how... 50 plus days of indiscriminate bombing is protecting yourself. And you'll see even more, even more so how they know that's not the case. People like Blinken and Biden are either allowing this open, unbridled murder for their agenda, or, I mean, I don't know how you want to spin this. They're aware they're killing people. And then creating terms and narratives to make sure you don't think that. Then behind the scenes, even getting caught with leaked information going, you got to stop killing children. So they know it's happening. They're even asking them, at least as we're, the, the leaks are told, maybe that's a lie too, to stop doing it. But then they come out to you, Sam Husseini asked them in public, and they go, no, no, they're in, they're in complete line with international law. And Well, we all go, well, we know that's not what you think. Like, it's just this really stupid game where the only people that defend what we're being told are the people in the left-right paradigm, or one side attacks, the other side says it's true. And then what? Maybe the 80% of the world that actually has a brain goes, then you're all lying. But it says again, well, anyway, the point is simply that we have the right to protect ourselves. I think that's super important. And here's another one. Morin Rabani points out, about a week ago, the U.S. and Israel suddenly stopped comparing Hamas to ISIS. Well, that's pretty telling. Wasn't that? Those are the two things we heard incessantly. The right to defend ourselves, the right. Oh, and by the way, there's also the Bethlehem Doctrine, which is really what that comes from. That's an Israeli concept that stems back to the beginning well, I mean, let's just place it in this context. It's been used for a while by the UK, by the United States, and by Israel. And it simply means that you have the right to preemptive self-defense. That's what the Bethlehem Doctrine means. And all that really amounts to is that we think you might do something, and if we claim you have a history of doing things that we say you do, all based on their accounts, right, then we can just bomb you and say we thought you were about to attack us first. 
It's sort of like saying because we claim Hamas is there, we can murder a thousand children or civilians. That's just simply not true. They just keep saying it, though, and eventually it just becomes the reality, even though the international community has never claimed out that it is. So the Bethlehem Doctrine is what they use to kill people and claim they were about to be attacked first. Self-defense. This point was also the other one. Self-defense, right to defend ourselves, and Hamas is ISIS. Even though it doesn't really make much sense as they were conflating Nazis and ISIS, even though they're not really the same thing at all, in fact, diametric opposites, as well as the fact that Hamas and ISIS are also adversaries. And they have, and you can easily prove through international entities and Israeli media, mind you, that Hamas has gone on great length to make sure that ISIS was not present. But that doesn't matter because the facts don't matter to people that want to spin a narrative. It says, along with their partners in crime in Washington, they often insisted Hamas was worse than ISIS. It's a familiar playbook. In 2001, the Twin Towers had barely collapsed. Ariel Shannon immediately began insisting the PLO was no different than Al-Qaeda. And that Yasser Arafat was worse than Osama bin Laden. Israel's flunkies and apologists immediately and dutifully followed suit. But Hamas ISIS is, is no longer. Israel's acolytes have for the moment, or the most part, yet to receive the message. That's the people online, as we keep showing you, right? They're still saying, before they beheaded babies, they haven't caught up to the lies yet. They haven't caught up with the shifting of the narrative. But we'll probably follow suit at some point in the next 24 months. It says, so what happened? Most obviously, the U.S. and Israel have been negotiating, concluding, and implementing a series of agreements with this ISIS character, right? It's the point that I was just making. Well, you can't keep claiming that they're the worst terrorist organization in the world and, and then deal with them, right? That's what they really, we can't deal with terrorists. That's what, what I asked early. I said, why are they bombing the area where the hostages are while claiming that they don't want to deal for the hostages, even though you're claiming it's Hamas that won't do it. And we now know it's not the truth. We now can prove Hamas has offered this from the very first week and Netanyahu turned it down until his people forced him to make this truce, this momentary pause. Because if, oh, and the point was they would say online, well, we don't deal with terrorists. Well, apparently you do. <laughs> so apparently you're dumb. Or apparently you just said whatever you needed to say so you could walk back the, so people wouldn't look at the, pro the problem that I was highlighting. So this is the overall reality. We're going to drift away from the ISIS part of it because we need to deal with them because we didn't achieve what we wanted to. Now, since yesterday evening, according to Mohammed Smiri, at least 40 more Palestinians were arrested in the West Bank, including two women and ex-prisoners. Think about how stupid this is. So they're releasing these people under the argument of some kind of ceasefire truce. And then within the same period, they haven't even stopped the period of truce. They rested the people they've arrested. They've released. You're, you're scooping up people you've already let out. Nothing about this is honest. This is a, this is a, a ploy. This is a, a mirage being done. They're probably just going to arrest them all right back up as soon as possible the moment that they go back to this. And by the way, they're telling you they're going to go back to bombing the moment this stops. Makes you sick. Now, Ar Arnaud Bertrand is the where I saw this. He says, wow, this might be the most important piece of journalism on the war on Gaza since it began. And he really just means that, actually, I think he means post-October 7th, but maybe he means 75 years. But it's essentially they confirm with unimpeachable sourcing that the killing of civilians was all calculated and intentional. Now, he gives you a quick breakdown. I'm going to read you directly from the article. November 30th, from today, 972 Magazine. It says, the Israeli army's expanded authorization for bombing non-military targets 
the loosening of constraints regarding expected civilian casualties and the use of an artificial intelligence system to generate more potential targets than ever before. There's a very interesting part of that for me that I'm going to get into in, in the broad sense of artificial intelligence and the allowance of, I guess, the decision-making being done by artificial intelligence and the argument that you can somehow have less accountability. Be like, well, I, I, artificial, they, they are, the AI told us. At least you could make that argument. Like even Eric Schmidt put that forward that, well, at some point, we're going to, the AI is going to be deciding things for us and we'll have to, you know, bow to what they decide because it'll know better. That's crazy. That was paraphrasing, but that's something Eric Schmidt talked about a while ago. So the idea that they have an artificial intelligence system that is being put forward to decide who they bomb and which is now why there's so many more bombings than there ever have been. I'm willing to bet you if this comes to it, they're going to try to pass it off like, well, who made the AI? We're just following with the AI. Or that that's, a, that's something that we'll see in the future in some regard. I mark my words. And there's a name for this, it, which is interesting. We've talked about Hasbara, right? Hasbara being their propaganda kind of initiative. This is called Habsora, or the gospel. And this literally is a system of artificial intelligence deciding who gets, to, who gets killed. That's crazy. The use of artificial intelligence and generate more potential targets than ever before appear to have contributed to the destructive nature of the initial stages of Israel's current war on the Gaza Strip. An investigation by 972 Magazine and Local, Cell, uh, local Call reveals these factors, as described by current and former Israeli intelligence members, have likely played a role in producing, excuse me, in producing what has been one of the deadliest military campaigns against Palestinians since the Nakba of 1948. The investigation by 972 and local call is based on conversations with seven current, seven current and former members of Israel's intelligence community. So, I mean, if question everything, question the platform, who they're speaking to, what their intentions may be, of course, always. But realize that in the U.S. media sphere, the anonymous intelligence sources, that that drives 90% of what we get through the corporate media. My point in saying that is, mean, still, that's one of the things we should distrust. But realize that this has the clout that the typical New York Times, Wall Street Journal kind of reporting typically does in our sphere, which, by the way, is what we all should be questioning. But realize the point is not that this therefore means that it's always true, but simply that this is where the narrative has gotten. That like this is the point about having the UN, Oxfam, and UNICEF, and all of them calling this genocide. This may be an, an intentional shift. That is possible. And we should be on guard for that. But nonetheless, we should realize that whether or not it's intentional, that this is the reality. What they have been doing is genocide, is murder, is apartheid, are war crimes. So thank God, for whatever reason, it's finally being pushed forward into the into the consciousness of the average person. But while we're still being on guard to how that may be mobilized or used into some new agenda. Thinking back to the Off Guardian article, which I think is an important read. Now, former and current intelligence community, including military intelligence and Air Force personnel, who were literally involved with Israel's operations in the Strip, in addition to Palestinian testimonies, data of their own, and documentation from the Gaza Strip itself, and even official statements by the IDF spokesperson and other Israeli state institutions. That's what these, so, that's, 
doesn't mean we can guarantee it's all anything, question everything. But that is impeccable sourcing in regard to the people in the know who are there. So it's kind of hard to deny all of this when this is coming directly from IDF members, intelligence, and so on. Now, it says, compared to previous Israeli assaults on Gaza, the current war, which has named itself, or they've named Operation Iron Swords, and which began in the wake of the Hamas-led assault on southern Israel, rather occupied Palestine areas on October 7th, and I mean that specifically as illegal settlements in the area, has seen the army significantly expand its bombing of targets that are not distinctly military in nature. These include private residences as well as public buildings, infrastructure, high-rise buildings, which sources say the army defines as power targets, matrat atzim, I guess, in Hebrew. So that's important that this whole thing is going to be power targets. Just, I, I want to make this clear. because I think I thought somebody might think that. So when we're talking about this, guys, we're not talking about, ha- why I mentioned Hasbara, the propaganda discussion. But remember, what I'm talking about is literally Habsora, not Hasbara. Habsora, which means the gospel. It is a different term that applies to the artificial intelligence that can use and generate these targets. We'll get to that. But just so we understand, this is not some misinterp- you know, mispronunciation of Hasbara. This is Habsora. We'll come to that in a second. Now, it says... These include, as we, okay, as we said, oh, the power targets. Now, that's important. The power targets are what they're predominantly bombing today. What these mean, in many cases, are just residential buildings that, if they were blown up, would hurt the civilian infrastructure to to a degree that might do two things. Hurt Hamas in some abstract way. Because they might need hospitals or they might need X, Y, and Z, but it's on the record civilian infrastructure or might be used to shock and hurt civilians to such a degree that they realize they can no longer support Hamas, even if they're not present, right? These are real things. The bombing of power targets, according to the intelligence sources who had firsthand experience with its application in Gaza in the past, excuse me is mainly intended to harm Palestinian civil society. That's important. To create a shock, is their quote, that, among other things, will reverberate powerfully and lead civilians to pressure Hamas, as one source put it. Okay, This is the same as sanctions against Iran or Yemen or whatever else, literally designed to punish the civilians so they turn on their government. People lie about that today, but it's, in, it's literally documented by people like Kissinger. So when they put these sanctions on these countries, starvation tactics, they're doing this. They're, those are aimed at the civilians, just like this. So what we're hearing in this article is the admission that one of the main things they're doing is trying to hurt and torture and collectively punish all of Palestine in order to hurt Hamas. Even if you think it's about Hamas, what this is, is egregiously illegal. It is, I mean, this is a crime against humanity. This goes to the level of genocide. Several of the sources who spoke to 972 and local call on the condition of anonymity confirm that the Israeli army has files on the vast majority of potential targets in Gaza, including homes, which stipulate the number of civilians who are likely to be killed in an attack on a particular target. This is an important part of this, and it gets into more detail. The idea being that 
they're arguing both because of the intelligence and artificial intelligence and their own understanding and, and long-term research when they are ready to attack a target. They have a very specific breakdown of how many civilians will be killed. They know this and they act anyway, even on areas where they think there may be a Hamas target, like with the Jablia refugee camp. They admitted that one. It says the number is calculated and known in advance. So they're knowingly killing civilians. Make sure you understand that. To the Army's intelligence units, who also know shortly before carrying out an attack roughly how many civilians are certain to be killed. In one case discussed by the sources, the Israeli military command knowingly approved the killing of hundreds of Palestinian civilians in an attempt to assassinate a single top Hamas military commander. We all know that example. The numbers increased from dozens of civilian deaths permitted as collateral damage as part of the attack on a senior official in previous operations to hundreds of civilian deaths as collateral damage, according to a source, meaning they've now allowed that. That's not some accidental byproduct that they have documented, <clears throat> admitted publicly to, each, to their own military command that you're a, you are permitted to kill one person or rather, to frame it the right way, to kill hundreds of civilians if you think you may be able to kill one Hamas member. There's just no everyone with a way. There's so many ways you can frame it. I should go. I should avoid making it about personal concern. Based on the law and any interpretation of it, that is illegal. No matter whether Hamas is using them as human shields, and even if you think that is the case, you realize they're they are required to prove that. And they have not. That's what the international community has been saying from the beginning. It's on them to prove that's the case. Technically before they're firing, but they don't care about that either. And it gets into that as well. It says, quote, nothing happens by accident. When a three-year-old girl is killed at a home in Gaza, it's because someone in the army decided it wasn't a big deal for her to be killed. That's a quote. That it was a price worth paying in order to hit another target. It says, we are not Hamas. These are not random rockets. Everything is intentional. We know exactly how much collateral damage there is in every home. You're damn right they do. According to the investigation, another reason for the large number of targets and the extensive harm to civilian life in Gaza is the widespread use of a system called Habsora, translated to the gospel. Of course it is. Which is largely built on artificial intelligence and can, quote, generate targets almost automatically at a rate that far exceeds what was previously possible. This is why it's the way it is to a degree, or at least that they're using that as the excuse. This AI system, as described by a former intelligence officer, essentially facilitates a mass assassination factory. That's a direct quote from an IDF member or an intelligence entity speaking to them on the record. Mass assassination factory. You don't use the word assassination when you're killing people in a war. That's an assassination is an extrajudicial killing of usually people that are not like civilians. So what's interesting is what did they just say that Elon Musk was talking about when he was there? That's right. Every time they mentioned the primary point, artificial intelligence and why, why would they talk about that? That's one of the thoughts I had while well, he was there to look at all the things from October 7th. Well, now we know because they're using artificial intelligence to kill these people. And they're now going to start using Starlink according to their conversations. So that makes Elon Musk complicit in the genocide happening in Gaza. According to the sources, the increasing use of AI-based systems like Habsora 
allows the army to carry out strikes on residential homes where a single Hamas member lives on a massive scale, even those who are junior Hamas operatives. Yet testimonies of Palestinians in Gaza suggest that since October 7th, the army has also attacked many private residences where there was no known or apparent member of Hamas or any other militant group residing. That's the important part of this. They'll keep putting forward the idea that really all we need is that maybe the height, the, the, the possibility of Hamas, as if that somehow makes that okay. But then even so, finding out that they many times didn't even have that. Is that AI doing it? Is it them? Does it even matter? It's still the responsibility of the Israeli government, and they are choosing to kill people. Innocent people on a massive scale. Now, what's interesting, too, is the only reason, back to the framing part of it, the, the narrative being set that this is the worst terrorist organization in history, you, you know, placing that over the top of this, despite the fact that the funding from Israel and the United States, the arming, the use of it to keep them divided, which then ultimately, if you see it this way, the fact that he propped them up and then that hurt his people is all his fault. That's obvious. But what's interesting is, you know, that there are people that grew up in Palestine, in Gaza, and were their families were killed. They were beat up. They were attacked. They were treated like second-class people. So they grow up in a position of wanting to change that. They want their land back. They live in an apartheid system and a brutal occupation. So what do they do? Well, they look to one of the groups that are there to try to fight back in many cases. So all I'm trying to point out is, is that then immediately a terrorist because they say that? Well, no, or because the point is that that's a legal resistance. Should those people commit crimes, well, then you could call them whatever you want. The point is that they're acting within international law. So too was October 7th, outside of the crimes they committed. Or, or you know, that it was, and those crimes were not part of the illegal action. <clears throat> but just because somebody breaks off and kills somebody that's illegal does not then make that, that whole action illegal. It's just static international law. You can't pretend otherwise. My point, though is by simply framing all of them as immediate and the worst kind of terrorism, you then get to pretend that, oh, well, this junior person who joined yesterday is suddenly a target, and therefore a target for, and again, in a, in a sense of war, he would be. But in any sense of war, the, the laws of war, international law, you don't then get to collectively punish everybody around them or bomb their homes where their families are. That's always been the reality. Just because they name them terrorists does not then automatically remove that. But this is why people are seeing through this today. They've lost control of this. It says such strikes source, uh, sources confirmed can knowingly kill an entire family in the process. And that's allowed. That's allowed. Don't forget, Trump said the same thing. Where do you think that came from? We're going to kill them and their families, which are which obviously drew a lot of shock. How dare you say that? Now we're cheering it on, or the sycophants for Israel are, and they're telling you you're wrong for not. In the majority of cases, the sources added, military activity is not conducted from these targeted homes. The point being that these are bombed areas under the assumption that somebody might live there, or even that you can prove a junior Hamas member lives there. There's no military activity from these locations, and in many cases, you're bombing a family when they're not even there. It says, quote, I remember thinking that it was like if Palestinian militants would bomb all the private residences of our families when Israeli soldiers go back to sleep at home on the weekend. That's what they're doing. This is, And he is admitting to this. <clears throat> it says, another source said that a senior intelligence officer told his officers after October 7th that the goal was to, quote, 
kill as many Hamas operatives as possible, for which the criteria around harming Palestinian civilians were significantly relaxed. As such, there are, quote, cases in which we shell based on a wide cellular pinpointing of where the target is, killing civilians. This is often done to save time instead of doing a little more work to get a more accurate pinpointing. That says everything. Like that alone should end the conversation. You're admitting that you are, that's destruction instead of accuracy. That's what that is. You're telling us on the record that you're using a wide cellular signal, which is not specific, and targeting that general area when you could simply take more time to get a more of a pinpoint target and and, and in the process, knowing you're killing civilians. So that there is a choice to kill these people to save you some time. That's called murder. That's what that's called. The result of these policies is the staggering loss of human life in Gaza since October 7th. Over 3,300 families have lost 10 or more family members in Israeli bombings in the past two months. Robert Inlakesh is one of them. A number that is 15 times higher than the figure from what was previously Israel's deadliest war on Gaza in 2014. 15 times higher in a shorter period of time. It's just, you just can't pretend that this is somehow... This is unprecedented by every stretch, by every meaning of the word. At the time of writing, around 15,000 Palestinians have been reported killed. I believe that's over 20,000 now, especially including the assumption, the estimates on how many are still buried. It says, quote, all of this is happening contrary to the protocol used by the IDF in the past. Right. So it's unprecedented even for them. There is a feeling that senior officials in the army are aware of their failure on October 7th and are busy with the question of how to provide the Israeli public with an image of victory that will salvage their reputation. Yep. Even Israeli media has wrote about this over the years. They will kill people in Gaza for a political benefit. Now, if you think that's shocking, then you're just not doing your research. It's Haaretz, Times of Israel, people in Israel. They've been saying this for years about Netanyahu, that he will initiate a war in Gaza just to get you on his side for the next election. It's just amazing how many Americans will call you a conspiracy theorist while you're citing Israeli media. Excuse me. So what they're telling you, we're willing to murder tens of thousands of civilians just to make it look like we're winning. From the first moment after October 7th, decision makers in Israel openly declared that the response would be of a completely different magnitude to previous military operations in Gaza, with the stated aim of totally eradicating Hamas. The emphasis, and by the way, that in 2014 seemed to be the same point. So it's act, acting like this was this is different though. We then we only meant to punish them. Clearly not. You failed before, and you're failing now, it seems. The emphasis is on damage, not accuracy, said IDF spokesperson Daniel Hagari. Right there. And it's right here. I've shown you many times. It is just still kind of alarming to me that we can have this stated admission. Not only do you not hear this, if you brought this up in front of Piers Morgan, he would be like, where's that from? That, that's not real. That, I, I never saw that. Whether they're lying or they actually don't know, it's probably the latter. It's just like they're so shockingly uninformed. It's incredible. Or as I pointed out in the, the debate we've discussed, the moderator, I think it's from the, the Pat, Patrick Bet David show, just has completely had no idea what he was talking about. Many points he put up, brought up were shockingly uninformed. 
But these people are the ones apparently leading the conversation in these circles. It's, it's crazy. So emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. But yet we pretend that means they're, they're only hitting Hamas, though. Like, you should be embarrassed if you're making that argument. So here it is in the same article, making sure you know that this is at a proportion they've never yet seen. And that's why they said it's, we're telling you it's damage, not accuracy. But Biden comes out and says they're pinpoint striking only Hamas. And you're a racist if you say otherwise. Not in so many words, but the same sentiment. According to the sources who spoke with these platforms, the targets in Gaza that have been struck by Israeli aircraft can be divided roughly into four categories. The first, tactical targets. So, you know, mil- what you would expect. Military weapons and so on. The second is underground targets. Now, even in the article, they admit that, that means what they think are tunnels under certain areas, and they're willing to bomb anything as long as they think that might hinder the tunnel. Well, isn't that exactly what we were saying before, that you're bombing hospitals and homes and schools and mosques because you claim the mosque has tunnels? You never prove that. And even it turns out the point is just to hurt the possible tunnel beneath that. Is that the civilian's fault that possibly even you built those tunnels before this? But even if not, that they're simply using tunnels in general? I mean, look, if you want to call that human shields, go go right ahead. I'm not debating that that might be possible, except for the fact that we know on the record the U.N. investigated, didn't find any evidence of that. I've yet to see a single provable point of evidence anywhere that shows that they have done that and are doing that. But we do have the evidence through the roof that Israel does and has done for a long time used human shields. 2013, Palestinian children tortured, used as shields by Israel per the United Nations. Reuters, Israeli soldiers who used Palestinian boy, a nine-year-old, as human shields avoid jail. Defense for Children International, an international human rights group. Israel forces use five Palestinian children as human shields. That's 2023. This is from 2017. Generally, human shields. Since the beginning of the occupation in 1967, Israeli security forces have repeatedly used Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip as human shields. Israeli soldiers routinely use Palestinian civilians as human shields by forcing them to carry out life-threatening tasks. It was also following a high court petition against this practice which was filed by human rights organizations around the world in May 2002, that the IDF issued a general order prohibiting the use of Palestinians as a means of human shield against gunfire or attacks by the Palestinian side. But then it goes on to say, following the order, the use of human shields dropped sharply. However, the the army did not construe as a human shield the use of Palestinians, provided they consented. The army continued the widespread use of this practice, which they referred to as the neighbor procedure. Following another petition filed by human rights organizations, the High Court of Justice ruled that this practice, too, violated international humanitarian law and that this thus was illegal. And guess what they've never stopped doing? Here is the Institute for Middle East Understanding, the neighbor procedure, Israel's use of Palestinian human shields from 2012. Human Rights Watch. During military operations, Israeli soldiers routinely coerced Palestinian civilians, including children, to perform life-endangering acts that assisted military operations, the practice known as the neighbor procedure. Now, see this? Now, here is that article, or that to show, if you'd like to... Oh, did I open that book? Oh, that's right. I was going to get the Rumble one as well. This is, it's just so, this is one of the most obvious examples of this kid, like literally tied to the front of one of their IDF vehicles while they engage with people shooting. Like, it's just so egregiously obvious. Then let's see if, uh, 
It pops up actually. Oops. I guess I can't spell. Here we go. Oops. Of course not. Even though I've got more views on it than all most of these. Rumble's not our friend. Let's see. I should be down here. Let's see. There we go. I want to give you the shorter video so you can watch that too. So back to the article. Bombing civilian infrastructure, knowing they'll kill civilians because they're, they're you know, because tunnel. Now the third, and this is where it gets important, the is power targets, which includes high rises and residential towers in the heart of cities, which is what we've seen this entire time. And public buildings like universities, banks, government offices. They've, this is a stated category. The idea being hitting these targets, says the three intelligence sources who were involved in planning or conducting these strikes on power targets in the past, is that a deliberate attack on Palestinian society will exert civil pressure on Hamas. That's as clear as day. Not because there's targets there. I mean, that's what they, in some cases they claim that, but their point is, in general, it's simply about bombing these buildings because that puts pressure on overall Palestinian society, which then hurts Hamas. That's collective punishment if you've ever heard it in your life. The final category consists of family homes or operative homes. The stated purpose of these attacks is to destroy private residences in order to assassinate a single resident suspected of being a Hamas or Islamic Jihad operative. Suspected. Killing the families because they may be a Hamas member. However, in the current war, Palestinian testimonies assert that some of the families that were killed did not include any operatives from these organizations. According to statements on October 11th by IDF spokesperson, by the IDF spokesperson, during the first five days of the fighting, just the first five days, half of the targets bombed, which was 1,329 out of a total of 2,687, were power targets. Half of all the targets bombed by October 11th. Or rather, just in the first five days, which, yeah, that makes sense, were power targets, meaning civilian buildings. Universities, banks, government offices. Why? To exert pressure on Hamas. Not because we knew that there were bad guys there. It's all in the record. It's all open. It's very obvious. It's just because you've got powerful governments that are gaslighting the world. Quote, we are asked to look for high-rise buildings with half a floor that can be attributed to Hamas, said one source who took part in previous Israeli offensives. Sometimes it is a militant group's spokesperson's office or a point where operatives meet. Or that, that that's what they claim anyway. I understood that the floor is an excuse that allows the army to cause a lot of destruction in Gaza. That's what they told us, he said. That it's an excuse. We just go, yeah, the Hamas was on floor five, so we build, we bombed the whole building. That's what this is, guys. That's what they're telling you. Quote, if they wanted, if they would tell the whole world that the Islamic Jihad offices on the 10th floor are not important as a target, but that its existence is a justification to bring down the entire high-rise with the aim of pressuring civilian families who live in it, in order to put pressure on terrorist organizations, this would itself be seen as terrorism. Because it is. So, they don't say that, said the source on the record. They're very aware they're committing terrorism. They don't care. Various sources who served in IDF, and tell, I should say that the leadership doesn't care. Some of these people end up 
being very unhappy with themselves or speak on the record about it. Various sources who served in IDF intelligence units said that at least until the current war, any protocols allowed for attacking power targets, civilian buildings, only when the buildings were empty of residents at the time of the strike. So you can even see on the record that before this, at least they pretended to have their policy publicly that, well, we have to make sure that they're empty. But you can prove that that's many cases what didn't happen in the past. But my point is, they at least knew that you cared, that they pretended not to kill these people. Now they just don't care. The mask is off. We'll kill them if they're present. It says, however, testimonies and videos from Gaza suggest that since October 7th, some of these targets have been attacked without prior notice. Killing entire families as a result. That's Amnesty International found the same thing. We actually have that included right here. Where the point was, just between the 7th and 12th of October, they investigated five specific cases. And they proved in each one of these cases, Israel violated international law by either not taking precautions to spare civilians, by carrying out indiscriminate attacks that failed to distinguish between them in general, or by specifically targeting civilians. And they prove it in this investigation. But again, nobody cares, apparently. So what they're telling you is they, since this started, they have not, they bombed entire buildings without even notifying them. And that, in that investigation, Amnesty po- reported that. In one case, they told one person on the street, and then right away after that, bombed the building. <clears throat> As it, and see, that is about pretending you did that. Now it says the Israeli army estimates that it has killed between 1,000 and 3,000 armed Palestinian militants. Isn't it interesting that that's, I haven't heard that. Where is this being reported? Every time I ask about how many have they killed, I, oh, we don't hear anything. In fact, and on top of that, have had zero evidence of even one of them, mind you. That's crazy to me. You have, you, you think after all this, you think they would be able to, sh- and you know they would, show you anything. Show me one person in a Hamas uniform that you've killed or somebody that you even claim is Hamas. We haven't got that. All we've seen is 20,000 civilians, children being pulled from the rubble. And they say, well, human shields. Okay, well, where are the people that were supposed to be using them as shields? They're telling you they've killed 3,000. According to the media reports in Israel, some of the dead militants are buried under the rubble. So, you know, we can't prove it. Now, there it is. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. We, we bombed them with that kid. With the, they killed all those civilians that we can see pulled out of the rubble, but Hamas was down there further. They're dead. We got them. Or so we're told. Realize I already told you that the number that they claim is about 30,000. That's what we're supposed to believe Hamas's membership. I'm, I'm told it's far less than that. But either way, let's just pretend it's even more. The reality is you're collectively punishing 2.5 million people. And the amount that you have bombed, which we'll get into the number, I think it's like 6,000 bombs, 4,000 tons. Like, just do the math on that, guys. That's the, that's arguing that if, let's just say, there's 30,000 people that are Hamas. That means that's roughly about five people, Hamas members, that would have been, have to have been killed by every bomb for that to be all 30,000. My point is that if you just simply break it all down on the math, you, could, you, you would argue that the amount of destruction being killed, now realize we're talking one of these bombs is blowing up an entire building full of people, an entire residential area. So we're talking about the almost mathematical impossibility that what they're actually doing is only going after Hamas. But we already know that. They're admitting it. That's why. But it says, again, they're under the rubble. So, But they're there. Trust us. Israel said, just like we were saying Ukraine said, same game. 
As documented by Al-Mazin and numerous images coming out of Gaza, Israel bombed the Islamic University of Gaza, the Palestinian Bar Association, a UN building for an educational program for outstanding students, a building belonging to the Palestinian telecommunications company, the Ministry of National Economy, the Ministry of Culture, roads, dozens of high-rise buildings and homes, especially in Gaza's northern neighborhoods. We're supposed to believe every single one of those were Palestinian hotspots. Nobody believes that. I don't even think Israeli people believe that. UN buildings. Remember, remember what I was saying in the beginning, because it was true, that not even Israel was claiming that Hamas was in these UN locations because that was a really hard pill to swallow for the average person? Well, the cat's out of the bag because it's obvious because they've killed over 100 UN members. So as I'm going to show you in a minute, they've now shifted the narrative. They're now including UN facilities as as Hamas locations. UN facilities. Now, certainly anything's possible, but just think about how embarrassing it is that they had never claimed that. In fact, they've always are. The point is that they have to now make the allegation that nobody can verify. And all these journalists are parroting what they said. Because good journalism, right? There will always be, this is a quote from one of these people, there will always be a floor in the high-rise associated with Hamas. That's what they're, that, remember, it's an excuse. But for the most part, when it comes to the power targets, it is clear that the target doesn't have military value. That justifies an attack that would bring down the entire empty building in the middle of a city, or full of people, with the help of six planes and bombs weighing several tons. Even if you think that Hamas was located in that building, the argument has never been that you can bomb and kill everybody in it because of that. Indeed, it says, according to sources who were involved in the the compiling of power targets in previous wars, although the target file usually contains some kind of alleged association with Hamas or other militant groups, striking the target functions primarily, quote, as a means that allows damage to civil society. They keep telling you this. As we understand, it's really just an excuse to take down civil infrastructure. That's what we're being told. The sources understood, some explicitly and some implicitly, that damage to civilians is the real purpose of these attacks. Of course, this will be ignored. Corporate media is not going to care. The the Israel sycophants are going to say it's all a bunch of lies or it's Hamas propaganda. Even without these IDF members admitting this, it's all readily apparent. It is self-evident. On May 2021, for example, and this is the point about how this is not new. This all didn't just begin on October 7th. For example, May 2021, Israel was heavily criticized for bombing the Al-Jala Tower, which housed prominent international media outlets such as Al Jazeera, Associated Press, French Press Agency. I remember that. If you know, so if you if you didn't realize then that they can literally bomb corporate media locations and get away with it, like clearly there was a problem. The army claimed, just like they're doing now, that the building was a Hamas military target. They never proved it. Sources told 972 that it was in fact a power target. See it? It's back then. They they're admitting that no, it wasn't really Hamas military. It was a civilian building that we knew would maybe affect Hamas. So we bombed it. And even the cor- corporate media that we bombed, even the U.S. government that pretended to care, they didn't do anything about it. The perception, the quote goes on to say, is that it really hurts Hamas <clears throat> when high-rise buildings are taken down because it creates a public reaction in the Gaza Strip that scares the population. Collective punishment. 
You're murdering people, destroying homes and infrastructure to scare people in hopes that that may hinder Hamas. Quite frankly, that sounds like fear and desperation from the Israeli side, that you're willing to just carpet bomb areas in hopes that it may hinder what they're doing. They wanted to give the citizens of Gaza the feeling that Hamas is not in control of the situation, which almost seems to imply that they know that they are. Sometimes they topple buildings and sometimes postal services and government buildings. Just casually admitting terrorism is what it is. Although it is unprecedented for the Israeli army to attack more than a thousand power targets in five days, the idea of causing mass devastation to civilian areas for strategic purposes was formulated in previous military operations in Gaza and honed by the so-called Dahaya Doctrine, or mowing the lawn, or grass, as Scott Ritter put it, from the Second Lebanon War of 2006. So again, the reality of this stuff, the idea that this was developed because of the idea of keeping them in check. That's the same thing the U.S. government does with their foreign policy to the African continent, to South America, right? You keep them in check. You make sure that they're dependent on you for what they need most so you can cut them off should they go afoul of your agenda. Everything you do is at the expense of the civilian population while you pretend it's all for their freedom, right? That's the same thing they're doing to Gaza, mowing the grass. Every so often, you just throw a bomb in there. Hey, you better keep in line. That's what this is. Now, you can clearly tell that they are trying to take this to its fullest extent. They're not just mowing the lawn anymore. They're removing it. According to the doctrine, developed by former IDF chief of staff, Gaddy Eisencott, who is now a Knesset member and part of the current war cabinet, of course, of course he is, in a war against guerrilla groups like Hamas or Hezbollah, Israel must use disproportionate and overwhelming force while targeting civilian and government infrastructure in order to establish deterrence, that's terrorism, and force the civilian population to pressure the groups to end their attacks. That's a combination of the sanctions mindset with kinetic military attacks. That's terrorism, guys. That's what every element of terrorism has ever been. Why? Now, now you should wonder why it stems back to these very groups. The very logic of the suicide bombings instead of the, the creation of the very groups they use for their war on terror, right? This is where it comes from. This is their mindset. I'm not just talking about the Zionists here. I'm talking about the U.S. government, Britain, the same groups that have always carried these things out. I'm not saying that means that there aren't other people doing these things, but the reality that they use this to keep you in check, that's happening to you too, U.K., Americans. Everybody in Europe, it's what was what we're being dealt with, or really anywhere for that matter. They bomb civilian targets with disproportionate force. There goes their lie about proportionality in order to establish deterrence. What do you I mean? The, what do you think they're talking about when they bomb the terrorist actions and you know, whether it's Osama bin Laden era, Syria, whatever else, when their proxy armies bomb people and they claim it's them that did it? The point is about trying to carry, trying to deter. Right, trying to pressure those people into supporting somebody else. When they say Assad is gassing everybody and they're carrying out these attacks, what do they want? That population to turn on Assad and call for U.S. intervention. That is terrorism. It's no different than somebody going in with a suicide vest to say we're doing this because you're doing X, Y, and Z in our country or because we hate your freedom or whatever narrative they spin. That's them too. The first time the Israeli army publicly defined power targets in Gaza was at the end of Operation Protective Edge in 2014. It's not new. The army bombed four buildings. Four. During the last four days of the war, 
three residential multi-story buildings in Gaza City and a high-rise in Rafa, which was un- crazy at the time. The security establishment explained, because they, they needed to at that time. Today, they don't need to. They explained at the time that the attacks were intended to convey to the Palestinians of Gaza that, quote, nothing is immune anymore. So admitting you're terrorists and to put pressure on Hamas to agree to a ceasefire. Okay. On the record in 2014, on the record, they made it clear. We were bombing civilian locations to make sure Palestinians, not Hamas, knew that nothing is off the table now because you allow them to exist, even though at the time we know that Hamas was being funded by Israel. On the record. I didn't finish my sentence. Hold on. On the record now by where it was. Hold on. Moss 2019 should pop up. I mean, this what's funny is this is a public sentiment. It's it's oh here it is the actual archive. That's better. <clears throat> oh wait. Oh yeah, this is it. Let's see. There it is. So this is from Haaretz. I'm actually going to make sure I save this one because this is the actual article from Haaretz. Where it says very clearly, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. Which you can, I mean, weapons are part of this too, but they could buy, you give them money, they can buy weapons. So that's the same difference. And again, he says, this is part of our strategy to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. It's literally on the record in public information. That's Netanyahu on the record saying that in 2019. So again, the point is that we're literally in 2014 pointing at Hamas and saying we're murdering civilians and bombing civilian locations because we're trying to force you into turning on them, even though Literally, Netanyahu is making sure they're powerful. So to keep this dynamic. So to use them to justify bombing these civilians. You start to see a pattern? The pattern is just wanting to kill civilians. It's crazy. Bombed four buildings at the time it was conveyed. Nothing was immune. The evidence we collected shows that the massive destruction was carried out deliberately and without any military justification according to an Amnesty International report from 2014. So here we are again with the international art groups going, yeah, they committed crimes. There's literally no military justification there. They bombed them. They killed civilians. That's terrorism. And what happened? Literally nothing. That, it's, it's like, and how do people not see this? Because most of them go to CNN, Fox News, and mindlessly go through their, 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 their TV boxes. Or at least that's the people that speak up in the, in the, the public sphere. Previous operations have also shown how striking these targets is meant not only to harm Palestinian morale, but also to raise the morale inside Israel. All right, so simultaneously killing civilians to hurt Palestine, but make Israel cheer. Haaretz revealed that during Operation Guardian of the Walls, Guardian of the Walls in 2021, the IDF spokesperson's unit conducted a PSYOP against Israeli civilians in order 
to boost awareness of the IDF's operations in Gaza and the damage they caused to Palestinians, right? Promoting, praising, parading around all the terrible things you did to them. So I hope that you can, I mean, that, that says something for the people that support Zionists. Plenty of them don't. Soldiers who used fake social media accounts in 2021 to conceal the campaign's origin, like they're doing today, uploaded images and clips of the army's strikes in Gaza to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, in order to demonstrate the army's prowess to Israeli public. The bottom line is that they knocked down a high-rise for the sake of knocking down a high-rise. That's the point. Terrorism. According to an investigation by the Associated Press conducted after the 2014 war, about 89% of those killed in the aerial bombings of family homes were unarmed residents, and most of them were children and women. Again, Associated Press, Amnesty International, finding terrorism, admission to terrorism, finding that even if they didn't admit to it, that the bombings they carried out killed 89% unarmed residents. Right up there with Obama's stats for drone bombing. And most of them were women and children. But nothing happens. We just move forward and you pretend like that's fake news. You starting to see a problem? You should. What this shows you is that it's all always been there. It's always been public. Ask yourself how it's possible this information, even why the Associated Press today doesn't cover this properly. Why Amnesty International, even though they have been reporting on this in their reports, does not step up in a huge way and say, guys, it's all right here. We've been covering this for a decade. They're terrorists because clearly there is overwhelming influence by the Zionist agenda in all of this stuff. On October 10th, Israel bombed the, the, the Babel building in Gaza. According to the testimony of Belil Abu Hatriza, Hatzira, who rescued bodies from the ruins of uh, that night, 10 people were killed in the attack on the building, including three journalists. I think it's over 60 journalists now that have been killed. Again, more journalists. I mean, it, in, it, because of the time frame and the, and the area, this is n more journalists killed in any war in history in the time frame and the amount of, and the area we're talking about. On October 25th, the 12 story Al Taj residential building in Gaza City was bombed to the ground, killing the families living inside it without warning. This is now that we're in, we're in 2023 right now. About 120 people were buried under the ruins of their apartments, according to the testimonies of residents. Youssef Omar Sharif, a resident at the building wrote on Twitter that 37 of his family members were, who lived in the building were killed. He says, quote, my dear father and mother, my beloved wife, my sons, most of my brothers and their families, all dead. Now, what do you think he does after that? Seeks peace? Residents stated that a lot of bombs were dropped, damaging and destroying apartments in nearby buildings, too. Now, when I say things like that, I'm in no way, as you know, anybody honest should know, as I've always stated, since I ever started to work in this work. I never advocate for violence. I don't think violence is the answer. Violence begets violence. But maybe I'm wrong. But I do believe that. My point is simply to point out that it's un you understand why people end up in these... When you're in an area where you're not allowed to do anything, and anything you do that's political or nonviolent is called racist or anti-Semitic, and then violence too, and by the same reasoning, you end up realizing that if you're going to be called a terrorist, whether or not you're acting in violence... And even then, acting in violence is literally protected by international law. Well, what options do you have? That is exactly why Netanyahu maintained this reality, because he knew he could always claim the what he's claiming today. <clears throat> Six days later, October 31st, about a month before this, a month ago from today, the eight-story Al-Mahandasin residential building was bombed without warning. 
between 30 and 45 bodies were reportedly recovered from the ruins that first day. One baby was found alive without his parents. Journalists estimated that over 150 people were killed in the attack, as many remained buried under the rubble. Those are all, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> power targets. Every one of them. Killing civilians to kill civilians. The building used to stand in Nusrat refugee camp, south of Wadi Gaza, in the supposed safe zone to which Israel directed the Palestinians who fled their homes from north and central Gaza, and therefore were told served as a temporary shelter for the displaced. But again, that was the building they bombed, right? We, it's as insultingly obvious as anything I've ever seen. Here, here, come right over here, and then we'll bomb that place. And then the, the media will pretend like we're lying about it, or that, uh, that it's all Hamas propaganda, literally bombing the way to the safe zone, bombing the safe zone, bombing the crossing that they might take from the safe zone. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. They're all just doing, it's all Hamas somewhere. The building used, oh, then it goes on to say, according to the investigation by Amnesty International, this one right here from October. Oh, actually, this, excuse me. This is a different one. They mentioned both. An, an, an investigation from October 9th that we've also referenced. Israel shelled at least three multi-story buildings as well as an open flea market on a crowded street in the, Jabal, the Jablia refugee camp, killing at least 69 people. The bodies were burned. Quote says the bodies were burned. I didn't want to look. I was scared of looking at the at Imad's face, said the father of a child who was killed. The bodies were scattered on the floor. Everyone was looking for their children in these piles. I recognized my son only by his trousers. I wanted to bury him immediately, so I carried my son and got him out. According to Amnesty International's investigation, the army said that the attack on the market was aimed at a mosque, quote, where there were Hamas operatives, they said. However, according to the same investigation by Amnesty International, satellite, satellite imageries prove that there's no mosque there. But we all move forward, right? Because you don't even need to, you just say mosque and people in the West go, oh, terrorism in some cases. The point is they can they claim something they know you can prove is false and they know that the people that already support them will to their death, apparently. Intelligence sources who served in the previous operations also told th these outlets that for 10 days in 2021 and three weeks in 2020 and 2014, an attack rate of 100 to 200 targets per day led to a situation in which the Israeli Air Force had no targets of military value left. An important question then, why, after nearly two months, has the Israeli army not run out of targets today? Well, there's an answer for that. The new AI system. The, Hab the Habsora system. The artificial intelligence system. So they're admitting openly that the reason that we are bombing all of these civilian locations is because of the system. Now, what they're claiming, though, is the system is able to pinpoint and discern whether there's Hamas there. They just know better than we do. That's why we're bombing 15 times the amount of targets we ever did in the past because this knows or does it or is this just a way to act like you're not accountable for murdering civilians in the statement a senior intelligence official is quoted as saying that thanks to Habsora targets are created for precision strikes quote while causing great damage to the enemy and minimal damage to non-combatants Hamas operatives are not immune no matter where they hide that's what they say anyway obviously that's not true Minimal damage to non-combatants, 20,000 people, 7,000 children? Hardly. I think they know this. According to intelligence sources, Habsora generates, among other things, 
automatic recommendations for attacking private residences where people suspected of being Hamas or Islamic Jihad live. Suspected. Israel then carries out large-scale assassination operations through the heavy shelling of these residential homes. Period. So, you have an artificial intelligence system that uses whatever they input. Right? Did they post something on social media? Did they support Hamas in one way or another? How? This is what we're talking about. You're the Israeli military are the ones inputting the metrics. Then, this rapid system is picking up all these residential homes that meet some kind of metric, and they bomb it without ever actually proving Hamas was there. This is your future with everything, everything, the artificial intelligence, the way it's all going, Elon Musk, he's helping them do this, guys. Well, he's making tours about how AI is dangerous. You're damn right it's dangerous. Habsora explained one of the sources, processes enormous amounts of data that, quote, tens of thousands of intelligence officers could not process. And recommends bombing sites in real time. It's it's plain as day. So they're telling us that we are not capable of breaking down what they show us. We just take at face value that their data is correct. Tens of thousands of officers couldn't process this. So they give us this real-time data and we bomb in real time. That's what they say. One former intelligence officer explained that Habsora system enables the army to run, quote, a mass assassination factory in which the emphasis is on quantity, not quality. That's the same thing. That is the same thing as damage, not accuracy. They're just saying that, and that that speaks to the actual system, not even just the operation in Gaza. The Habsora system is about quantity, not quality. I mean, guys, they're literally admitting that they're willing to just murder civilians as long as they maybe get Hamas. Doesn't that seem to suggest that they're not even really going for Hamas? Since Israel estimates there are approximately 30,000 Hamas members in Gaza and they are all marked for death, the number of potential targets is enormous. Now, I I would use another word. I would say endless. Now, it says it really is like a factory in regard to the the, the automatic system where the AI picks targets automatically. It says it really is like a factory. We work quickly. And here's the important part. He says, there is no time to delve deep into the target. The view is that we are judged according to how many targets we manage to generate. You know, this really could just be a way to not allow the IDF soldiers to know that they're murdering civilians indiscriminately. Because that's always been a historic problem. Where some of these people are told to bomb civilian targets or just make them up and pass wars. And they are very unsettled about that in some cases. So now you have a thing where you go, well, you have IDF members inputting metrics that are probably just benign. Do they Are they Palestinian, for example? Things like that. I'm just making that up. My point would be, though, you could literally enter in metrics that would make basically everybody a potential target. So then they're just going, the AI said, bomb it. With, you know, with the potential knowledge, incorrect, that they thought they bombed Hamas instead of killing civilians for an obvious purpose. There's a lot of ways you could look at this. The bottom line is you've got an artificial intelligence system rapidly pumping out targets that they don't take time to debt to break down. They just blindly follow. And then the people who are inputting the metrics, the military, the government, intelligence, they're then, they're, they're then judging these people on how many targets they manage to get. 
which then clearly incentivizes them to not look at all. Move, go, bomb, keep going. See the point? So th this seems very deliberate to maximize the suffering and the ethnic cleansing. Automated systems like Habsora have thus greatly facilitated the work of Israeli intelligence officers in making decisions during military operations, including calculating potential casualties. Five different sources confirmed to the platform that the number of civilians who may be killed in attacks on private residences is known in advance to Israeli intelligence and appears clearly in the target file under the category of collateral damage. So there's no pretending that they're not very aware that every time they do this, they're killing tens of thousands, rather in the process, they've killed tens of thousands of civilians. And they knew, they knew and they got it. And they said, yes, do it anyway. That's what they're telling you to this report. Now under the category of concerted policy to bomb family homes, on October 22nd, the Israeli Air Force bombed the home of the Palestinian journalist Ahmed Anwak in the city of Dar al-Bala. Ahmad is a close friend and colleague of mine, this person reports, four years ago. We founded a Hebrew Facebook page called Across the Wall with the aim of bringing Palestinian voices from Gaza to the Israeli public. The, the strike on October 22nd collapsed blocks of concrete onto his entire family, killing his father, his brothers, his sisters, and all of the children, including babies. Only his 12-year-old niece, Malek, survived and remained in critical condition, her body covered in burns, and unfortunately died a few days later. 21 members of Ahmad's family were killed in total, burned under their home, buried, excuse me. None of them were militants. The youngest was two years old. The oldest, his father, was 75. Ahmed, who is currently living in the UK, is now alone out of his entire family. Arguably because he was a journalist trying to document what's going on. Ahmed's case is common in Gaza these days. In interviews to the press, heads of Gaza hospitals have echoed the same de description. Families enter hospitals as a succession of corpses. A child followed by his father, followed by his grandmother. The bodies are all covered in dirt and blood. Now, the, the Platform 972 and Local Call do not have data regarding the number of military operatives who were indeed killed or wounded by aerial strikes on private residences in, current, in the current war. Meaning, there could be none for all we know in regard to Hamas members killed while they murder all these civilians. But there's ample evidence that in many cases, none were military or political operatives belonging to these areas. All right, so what they're saying is we can't prove that there are in fact none under these buildings they claim, but we can prove there is rather lots of evidence the fact that none of them were military targets that were the, in these places to begin with. So at best, they were assuming, that's something Scott Ritter pointed out, under international law, even under the human shield concept, which would not apply to the idea that there are thousands and maybe one person or that they're under the building. We, that even if the case was one person, for example, with one Hamas member, they're required to prove that or a tunnel or an operating air, whatever it is before, but they don't. On October 10th, the Israeli Air Force bombed an apartment building in their Sheikh Ridwan neighborhood in Gaza, killing 40 people, most of them women and children. In one of the shocking videos taken following the attack, People are seen screaming, holding what appears to be a doll pulled from the ruins of the house. When the camera zooms in, it turns out to be the body of a dead baby. 19 members of his family were killed. Amnesty International investigated the attack and discovered that a Hamas member did, in fact, live on one of the upper floors of the building. But he wasn't even there when they bombed it. This is the reality of what they're doing. This, that was the investigation here. 
out of all five of these, only one of them did. Was there even evidence that somebody might have been there, but he wasn't when they bombed. So they killed everyone in that building to pit to, to go after that one person who wasn't even there. I mean, there's no way these aren't war crimes. The bombing of the family homes where Hamas or Islamic Jihad operatives supposedly live likely became a more concerted idea policy during Operation Protective Edge in 2014. Back then, 606 Palestinians, about a quarter of the civilian deaths during the 51 days of fighting, were members of families whose homes were bombed. I just think that that in and of itself shows that these people are no better than what they pretend they're fighting. A UN report defined it in 2015 as both a potential war crime and a new pattern of action that led to the death of entire families. We just move forward. Nobody cares. In 2014, 93 babies were killed as a result of Israeli bombings of family homes, of which 13 were under one year old. A month ago, 286 babies aged one or under were already identified as having been killed in Gaza since October 7th. The numbers has since, since doubled or tripled. However, in many cases, and especially during the current attacks on Gaza, the Israeli army has carried out attacks that struck private residences, even when there is no known or clear military target. For example, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, by, no, on no, uh, by November 29th, Israel had killed 50 Palestinian journalists in Gaza, some of them in their homes with their families. We've reported this to you already. Rashidi Siraj, 31, a journalist from Gaza, born in Britain, founded a media outlet in Gaza called Ain Media. On October 22nd, an Israeli bomb struck his parents' home where he was sleeping, killing him. The journalist, Salim Mima, similarly died under the ruins of her home after it was bombed. And her three young children died with her, seven years old, three years old. Or, excuse me, it says of her... Oh, of her three young children, two of them died, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, and, and have, or excuse me, am I misreading that? Of her three young children, Hadi seven died while Sam three has, oh, excuse me, has not been, has not been found in the rubble. Excuse me. Two other journalists were killed together with their children in their homes. I mean, guys, this is just some of the most horrifically, uh, this, this is what terrorism looks like. Two weeks after the start of the bombings in Gaza and before the ground invasion, after the bodies of 1,903 children and approximately 1,000 women and 187 elderly men were counted in the Gaza Strip, Israeli com uh, commentator Avi uh, Isacharov tweeted, as hard as it is to hear, on the 14th day of fighting, it does not appear that the military arm of Hamas has been significantly harmed. Point being, it still appears that way, actually, that they were doing all of this under the argument that it was hurting Hamas and it wasn't even hurting Hamas. Just killing people for no reason. In response to an inquiry from 972 and local call for this article, the IDF spokesperson stated, quote, the IDF is committed to international law, sure, and acts according to it. No, they don't. And is doing so according to military targets and does not attack civilians. Don't you love how they just state the blatantly obvious untruth? Like we can prove that's not true. By their own admissions, for that matter. It's just they just state the narrative they want you to go with. The terrorist organization Hamas places its operatives, they go on to say, and military assets in the heart of civilian populations. Hamas systematically uses the civilian population as a human shield and conducts combats from civilian buildings, including sensitive sites such as hospitals, mosques, schools, and UN facilities. That's new. 
They're now saying this as they're that's they're acting like that. They've never that was not there in the beginning. They've now added on UN facilities. They're now literally arguing Hamas uses UN facilities to conduct its terror activities. And so and, and that implicitly means that means that UN is part of this, which is possible. I just think it's really hilarious because I think it's obvious that's not what's happening, which, by the way, does not then mean the U.N. body is on your side. The point is that this is just obviously something that they're using to cover up the fact that they've been indiscriminately bombing and killing literally anybody there, including U.N. members, including journalists, including members of the medical community. They don't care. After 2014 and the Protective Edge operation, during which Israel began to systematically strike family homes from the air, Human rights groups like Beth Selim collected testimonies from Palestinians who survived these attacks. The survivors said the homes collapsed in on themselves. Glass shards cut the bodies of those inside, and the debris smells of blood, and people were buried alive. This deadly policy continues today. Thanks in part to the use of destructive weaponry and sophisticated technologies like Habsora, artificial intelligence, but also to a political and security establishment that has loosened the reins on Israel's military machinery. I mean, that's such a soft way to say that. That's like saying the terrorism they were already committing, you know, they, they've loosened the reins. They, I mean, it's just, if they were committing terrorism before, which they were, what were we used for today? What's worse than terrorism? You know, g- crimes against humanity. That's because it's worse than before. 15 years after insisting that the army was taking pains to minimize civilian harm, Gallant, now defense minister, has clearly changed his tune. As he said on the 7th, we're fighting human animals and we must act accordingly. Right, so they're not even pretending unless you talk to Biden, unless they're talking in the public sphere for corporate media in the West, they make it clear, we're going after everybody. Oops, I already saved it. Now this, just to show you quickly, is what we already mentioned. This is where this is going. Whether that's actually what's happening or just what they want you to think is happening, Pentagon is moving toward letting AI weapons autonomously decide to kill humans. It's not far from what's happening there. They're ones pulling the trigger, but it seems to be almost automated where it tells them they fire anyway without even thinking about it. So why not just let it fire on its own? That seems like an argument that's probably being made. Now here's Abby Martin breaking down the Great March of Return the peaceful protests that they were that they were conducting that they then pretended was terrorism because whether they're peaceful or not that's what they do just want you to understand this has always been the reality lined with israeli snipers that will shoot to kill if you wander too close to the fence it's called the no go zone and so tens of thousands of palestinians peacefully marched up to that zone i mean with courage that i will never understand braved bullets, sniper fire. Um, 8,000 Palestinians were shot with live ammunition. Um, actually, tens of thousands of people were shot with live ammunition. 8,000, I think, just in, in a couple of the weeks. Over 200 Palestinians were actually shot dead, including women, children, disabled people, journalists, and medics. I mean, even in an army, in an actual battle between sides in a legitimate like battle and war, shooting those people would be violations of the Geneva Conventions. But in just a peaceful protest where you have medics trying to tend to the wounded, these are all egregious war crimes. And they were all documented on camera, Brian, but the world completely ignored it. And fast forward to today. All the people in, involved in the Great March of Return. I mean, they're Ahmed Artema, 
the organizer of the Great March of Return, an incredible poet, peaceful guy, super chill guy. I'm, I'm in contact with him all the time. His house was targeted. His whole family was bombed. He lost five family members and his 10-year-old son was murdered. And he's in the hospital right now with second degree burns with his other two children. And it is so traumatizing to think that that is what we are told all the time. Where's the Palestinian Gandhi? Where are the nonviolent resistors? Well, you're murdering them systematically. They're dying because of you. You are bombing them. All the journalists that they're killing, targeting, who else can get away with this? Who else can do this with impunity? They're killing the truth. And that even came out, like, I think in a political article, it said, we're Biden and his cohorts were scared that journalists were going to get in and show the, the complete devastation and ruin in Gaza during the truce and that that might shape American minds, Brian. That's what they're scared of. They're scared of Americans turning against this colonial genocidal project because they don't want us to see the truth. That's why they're systematically taking out the journalists. They want everyone to die. They don't want any semblance of civic society left. That's why they're taking out all the best and brightest in Gaza, all the staff of the hospitals, the surgeons. I just saw a video today of NICU babies that were left to die from Israeli soldiers that were invading the hospital. Who does that? Who with any shred of humanity can see babies laying helpless and leave them to die? That is what's going on. And they don't want us to see this. And that's why the disgusting the disgusting appendages of U.S. empire, these so-called journalists that are essentially just stenographers for the Israeli media can just go up there and just repeat lies. How dare they call themselves journalists? How dare they? How could you be a journalist and not with every fiber of your being speak out against this country, this government that is taking out your colleagues? How could they do that? I still don't understand Brian, and you know, going back to your last question about this concept that it's this ages-old battle based on religious strife, it is insulting to our intelligence. Christian, Muslims, and Jews all lived in historic Palestine. It wasn't until colonizers started to come that problems started to arise. It wasn't until they, they tried to create a state on top of another people based on ethnic cleansing. And look, yes, a genocide happened here hundreds of years ago. It was horrific. And we have to acknowledge what this country is founded on. If that were happening now, if violent, bloody conquest was happening in my backyard, you sure as hell know that I would not be accepting that. And none of us should accept this. It's happening in real time. It's being live streamed for all the world to see. And it's our duty to stand up and do everything we can to oppose it because history will judge us. History will judge this moment. And it will ask all of us, what did we do? What did we do? Well said, Abby. You know, and, and remember, she 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 just had a baby recently, for the most part. And I've seen her post about that, and I think that's why she gets so emotional right there. I mean, really, for anybody to see that, it's it's emotional. We've and we showed you that clip. The point, guys, is this is deliberate. It's obvious, and everybody knows it. Even the people trying to lie to you about it. And that that really just shows you that they either you know secretly. I mean, it doesn't matter. We shouldn't assume into anything. The point is that they know. Because it's that obvious. Amnesty International, damning evidence of war crimes, Israeli attacks, wipe out entire families. Right? Think about how crazy it is that we can literally have 
all these reports of verifiable information and we still act like it's a, you know, it just shows you with the control over all this. Now, uh, unfortunately, I'm not ending right now, but it looks like I am going to have to wrap quicker than I expected today. So I'm going to try to kind of go through a good portion of what we have left in a reasonably quick period of time, just so you understand why I'm doing it this way. Um, and then what I don't get to will probably just follow up with. Oh, and I forgot to say in the beginning, by the way, like my, my plan has always changed. <laughs> I was going to be playing the interview today. And then I ended up shifting because I wanted to talk about this and I, I don't think I'm going to be doing anything tomorrow. So I'm probably going to play that. But anyway, point is there are some developments in regard to the illusory ceasefire and the, and the people being released. Now this, this applies to the Bebus family. And one of the things I told you, I was worried about. So starting with this, first of all, this is times of Israel. Hamas says they will release hostages, three bodies on Thursday. Well, that was interesting. And it's weird that they don't, it doesn't even immediately get into that. Previous statements. Oh, of course, this is the, hold on a sec. Always refreshing. These, these times of Israel is one of the worst. They were, it refreshes like every 10 seconds because they're changing stuff all the time. Terrible journal. I mean, I shouldn't say that, you know, people in the writing, sometimes they have good work in here, but overall the fact that this constantly does that. Hold on. I'm just, there we go. I had to turn back on my thing for that to work. Okay. It'll probably refresh while we're watching it. He says, a Hamas source said that 10 more Israeli hostages will be released from the Gaza Strip on Thursday, today. Or rather, I think it probably already happened or it's gonna right about to happen. Two of them also holding Russian citizenship <coughs> as part of a one-day truce extension. Remember, they said if you release 10 more people, we'll exchange and we'll, we'll extend the so-called truce for another day. Quote, all of them are alive, the Hamas source said. Israel last night refused a list Hamas proposed that included three Israeli bodies. Now, that's important. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's even in this article, sort of like the, like burying the lead, as it were, like the three bodies. What is that talking about? Obviously, they're, they're talking about three dead prisoners. Now, they're telling you Israel didn't, they turned it down. So that's why Hamas made this public, I think. Israel doesn't want these bodies back. Why is that? This is, however, a senior Hamas official simply said, you know what? We're going to give them back anyway. So they're going forward. And they're going to include these three bodies. Now, following various reports in Hebrew media, and I'll get to the point of what's going on with that, in, about Hamas providing a list of additional hostages that was deemed unacceptable by Israel. And I think that includes the idea of the three, the three bodies. The prime minister's office said that it had received a list, quote, in accordance with the terms of the outline, and therefore the pause will continue. Unconfirmed reports in Hebrew. So again, right, what it means to me is it seems like Israel didn't want people to know they didn't want those bodies back. That's what this seems like to me. Unconfirmed reports in Hebrew media suggested there was eight people on the list and that Hamas was including either two Russian Israelis who were already been released on Wednesday in a side deal with Moscow or the bodies of three hostages. So this is media trying to understand why is Hamas claiming that there's something not happening or not working while Israel comes out and says, we're all good. Everything's fine. It's happening. So that now they were trying to piece together. Is it, were they lying about what people that were included and try, like trying to, I think insinuating that maybe Hamas was trying to get one over on them by including these three people that might've already been released. But it says, uh, or yeah, you know, it says a side deal with Moscow or the bodies of these hostages among the 10 slated for release in a, in a fudging of the terms of the deal. That's kind of what they're saying. Later Thursday today, Hamas said it would be handing over the bodies of three Israelis claiming without evidence 
that they were killed by Israeli military operations. Ah, so here's where it gets important. Now, sure, they could be lying about that. They could have killed them, killed them themselves. Or what seems highly likely, they were being held in the area that Israel has been dropping 6,000 bombs on. So it's very likely that this was actually killed by their bombings. And now it, that in and of itself would see would also Hamas will use that to say, look at the, and look, it's not, it's not you, it's almost not even disingenuous. That is what Israel's doing. And they are killing civilians. So Hamas will obviously use that to say, look at what they are. But yes, that is something they could use to benefit their agenda too. So the point is that we don't know for sure. But we can all see that they're indiscriminately bombing an entire area full of prisoners, full of Palestinian Americans, Palestinian Britons. Brightons, whatever however they say that, full of in, all, any number of people from other places, and they're bombing industry, bombing all over the place, telling you that it's about destruction, not accuracy. Being revealed now, they're bombing civilian buildings, no, trying to kill everybody there, which would include the hostages if they were there. See, there's, it's not hard to see the reality of this. <clears throat> so I think Hamas making them take these is to make this a conversation point. It says reports that the three bodies would be transferred along with the eight living Israeli hostages seem to imply that Israel agreed to go ahead with the extension, even though Hamas, without demanding, they meet the, the deal, which was 10 living people for one extra day. So how does that make sense? Why would Israel agree if they didn't meet the deal? I think it's obvious. I think they wanted this not to be publicly discussed. That'd be my opinion, though. So we don't, I, who knows for sure? Down here it says, Israel estimates that about 145 hostages, including 15 women and children, are now being held in Gaza and insists the terror group release all of them in order to get additional agreements. Without not, Nothing return, no exchange. Just give us everybody back you have left or we will have no more agreements. Okay, well, that would mean then they're going to say no because that would leave them with no wet, no bartering chip. And that means they're going to continue bombing the whole area which will probably end up killing those hostages too. So you can't pretend Israel cares about them. Their agreement should be, look, we'll make a deal with you. We'll keep doing this until we get all of, all of our people back. Why wouldn't that be the first thing you do? And then go after Hamas. And then indiscriminately kill everybody there. Like, how can you not look at this and see that they're trying to kill the people they don't want to come home? That's my opinion, but explain how that logic works for me. Now, this family, the Bebus family, it says Hamas on Wednesday claimed the Bebus children and their mother were in fact killed by an Israeli airstrike in the Strip. It did not say when this allegedly occurred, understanding that there's been a supposed pause and since the 24th, but we don't know. There was discussions about them supposedly being transferred, but I, I was never able to really confirm that. It was a sentiment that was circulated in a lot of places of people that have shared a lot of fake information, but the video seemed to be accurate. But the bottom line is, this is just as likely as anything else. Gaza terror groups, they say, have made such claims regarding hostages in the past, seen as part of, they claim, psychological warfare. Well, a lot of what they've already called psychological warfare just turned out to be the truth. You know, like the family members coming home and saying they treated us kindly. Or the members that were there that were said, are you trying to kill us all? And they released them too. And they're saying, thank you, Hamas, for keeping us safe. That's, that's real. That's happening right now. That does not then mean they're all good guys. That's just dumb assumption. But that is what they're saying. It's a static fact. The point is that they're claiming these people were killed by their bombings. Now, no matter what, they're going to say that's Hamas's fault. But doesn't it matter if it turns out their mindless bombing killed them? 
In fact, I again argue that was what it was always about, trying to do that. So you could blame it on them. So Hannibal Directive, guys, it's obvious. And, and look, every one of these people coming home are telling you exactly the opposite of what they're telling you on the news. Then it says, after this pause of returning our abductees is exhausted, the Israel, Israel will return to fighting. Unequivocally, yes. There is no way we are not going back to fighting until the end. Just so you hear that. Biden wants you to hear something else. They're telling you there's no way. They're all lying. We're going to go back no matter what. His vow to continue the fight was echoed by his other two members of his cabinet, Gallant, Gallant and Gantz. They all look like twins, basically. As well as the IDF Chief of Staff, General Haretz Halveri, who all issued statements of readiness to advance immediately after this supposed pause was over. So it's all a big ploy, is what it is. By the way, while they're meanwhile bombing in West Bank, which I keep pointing out, is obviously a violation. Either they're violating the ceasefire with Hamas, which is what it was. It wasn't a Gaza ceasefire. It was a, it was a ceasefire with Hamas. So they're telling you they're going after Hamas and West Bank. So why is that not a violation of the ceasefire? Or they're not going after Hamas and just killing people in the West Bank because that's what they've always done. Both are probably actually happening. So obvious. Now, here is Mr. Propagandist, Israel government spokesperson with the, you know, anyway, says, what kind of sick monsters abduct, then possibly murder a baby? What kind of statement is that? You mean like the thousands of children you've abducted as, Israel, as Israel's government or the children that you have murdered very obviously in Gaza and in Israel? Like, I agree. What kind of monster would do that? We're looking at them right now. But the point is he's going, oh, well, the sick Hamas monsters will, will, are the ones that took this, the Bebas family. Well, well, I agree. The people that took that family are committing crimes because that's a civilian family. But what, what's happening here is this clumsy effort to try to make this about this one entity, I think because they know these people probably aren't alive. ...reports that this mother and these two little boys may not be alive. There is no confirmation on that. Is there anything more that you can share about their well-being? So now they're in damage control, or rather, however you want to look at it, to go to get ahead of it, to come out and say, we know they killed them. So when it comes out, that they're claiming, as it is now, that they bombed them, they're going to set that narrative. Now, that, they could be, that could be the truth. Maybe Hamas did kill them. But I just think it's alarming how obvious it is that they, no matter what the truth is, we're going to tell you that this was their fault. Now, these are really horrific uh, claims by Hamas that the family are no longer alive. And I can tell you that I, like everyone else in this country, is very, very, very angry uh, for overall... What, what, horrific claims? That, that your bombings killed them? I mean, that's a very logical possibility, right? So it's just about scaring you away. For a month, that image of uh, Shiri Bibas with her two adorable little children being abducted into the Gaza Strip have become icons, iconic of Hamas's crimes against humanity on October 7th when they brutally abducted 240 people. Right, and so since that same time frame, Israel has abducted over 2,000 more children. As according to Amnesty International, the United Nations, without any real reason, administrative detention, without charge, even 233 of the 300 on the list to be returned, some of which have been in jail for years without charge, are in prison without any actual charge or any process. 233 of them. And this very same guy said they're all terrorists. Nobody believes these people anymore, in my opinion. The vast majority of people are seeing right through this because anybody who's honest, who cares, has looked. And you can't hear what they're saying and then look at the UN and Amnesty and other groups and other countries 
who are going, that's just blatantly false without going, well, maybe, and then looking further. The only people that don't do that are people in the two-party paradigm who've chosen a team sport side and those that are sycophants for Israel. And some of them in the team sport politics are seeing this. It's just that simple. It's obvious. They've got, they've been caught lying about near everything. Brutally abducted to. And again, all the people they've abducted into Israel means that everything he's saying applies to Israel's government. Or how about you just make it about two of them? Are you really trying to argue that there's not two examples in all of the people they've abducted that are children taken for no reason other than taking them? We know that's true. Amnesty made that case. But the point is, it's a hell of a lot more than just the two he's pointing to. 140 people into the Gaza Strip, including a nine-month-old baby. What kind of sick monsters abduct a nine-month-old baby? What kind of sick monsters hold a nine-month-old baby? What kind of sick monsters? Yeah, Israel's government. Ha plenty of examples. My point in this is that, yes, Hamas doing this is disgusting. Now, the difference would be whether the Israeli government killed them while they were being held, which seems based on everything we've seen so far in a way that was comfortable and safe with food and feminine hygiene and no torture, all the things that are not happening in Israel's prison cells for children. These things matter, guys. All that can matter and be right while you can call this a crime from Hamas. But the hyperbolic framing of this to make it all about, it's, it's just to, it's, it's about keeping this, on the redirecting outrage to one thing, as opposed to the thousands of children you've killed with your bombings. Doesn't that matter more? Monsters might then have traded it away to a different faction or murdered it or allow him to die through it. <laughs> murdered it. That seems like a pretty important slip to me. A negligence. Now, we are investigating these claims. The IDF has been in touch with the survivors of the Bibas family in Israel to update them about these claims and to investigate them. And Because it... oh, that makes sense, right? Because the Bibas family is going to have information that will help your investigation, right? No, you're going there to make sure they say what you told them to say. And this is what we know, like telling Shawnee Luke's family. We found her body, her head. Oh, no, just her head. Oh, wait, not her head of bone. Oh, wait, just a sliver, right? They lie, then they change it. Or the family of that young girl was told she was dead. Turns out she's not, and they brought her home. These are very bad people that are using people's suffering. If this turns out to be true, we have been very clear. There will be nowhere to hide for any Hamas terrorist who harms so much as a hair on the head of Israeli hostages. We hold... Right, so if it turns out to be true that we killed them with our bombs, we will punish Hamas. Make sure you heard what he said. Hamas solely responsible for the welfare and well-being of those vulnerable hostages, and we are demanding that it release everyone immediately. What a double standard, right? So, you, so that doesn't apply to all the children you're holding? It's just sad. All of them matter. That baby matters just as much as a Palestinian baby matters. And Israel has been murdering. I mean, we just went over the numbers. Under one year old. It was over a thousand. Doesn't that matter? Is it more, is it more important that you just take them and kidnap them? Like murdering seems to be a little bit more severe. But all of it matters. Hamas members who did this should be held accountable for it. But to argue that because they did this, you could just murder everybody else makes you the terrorist. And here's how our wildly ignorant corporate media responds. Like, so this is my point. This woman sitting here, the way she responds, 
It's it's just a snide, smug, I know more than you, I know because I know the talking points better than you do, kind of response after what he says, which is a valid and undeniable fact. Like, the idea, just making it, before we even get into it, the idea that because he claims that Palestinians may feel unsafe in certain locations in the United States, does that then by default mean that Jews do not? It's like we're battling, so like vying for what's more important. No, I'm the one that's threatened. No, I am. And that's not what he's doing, but that's what people in her position are doing. And you'll see what I mean. Now, to be very, very clear, there's a lot of examples of Jewish people claiming they feel unsafe because they're being manipulated by the media, in my opinion, in many circumstances, to think that pro-Palestinians are racist, anti-Jew murderers. And so when they're going free Palestine, they run and hide because they're terrified. Now, that does not mean that there are not people out there being violent or racist or bigoted towards Jews. It's always been a reality, like any ethnicity or anybody, white people, black people, Indians, Native American, everybody. Racism exists. <gasps> Shocking. And we should all say it's terrible and gross. The point is to then argue that only one group has the kind of core of the market on your fear and your hate and your bigotry is just ridiculous. There is a mis... It, let's take the ADL example. Pointing at every Palestinian protest and claiming they're all anti-Semitic and then showing a 500, 400% increase in anti-Semitism is a blatant lie. People like her go, that's a fact because I was told that's a fact. And then act like you're so dumb because you don't know how to repeat the talking points like she does. Palestinian from Gaza the other week, Ahmed Al-Anouk, um, he lost 23 members of his family, including 15 nieces and nephews. He's not a member of Hamas. Half of Hamas, uh, mm. Gaza's population are children, and yet they're always depicted and dehumanized in such a way. And one thing Ahmed said to me, by the way, he said, not only do we have to worry every morning whether we can get in touch with our families but we feel unsafe as palestinians in this country because of the level of dehumanization we forget Pal look at her look at make sure you don't miss her eye roll look at that face so you so you're literally to the point of disregard like snide disregard that you that palestinians are being dehumanized because you're because clearly calling them human animals is totally humanizing them right she, these people are just ignorant, in many cases, willfully so. Watch your face, and I'll let it play out. Because of the level of dehumanization, we forget Palestinian people are human beings, and self-defense, self-defense, self These marches have 300,000 people on them, all, baying, all saying Israel is child killers. Like, What does that have to do with anything? So, because they've got a lot of people, they're not dehumanized? Like, it's almost like she's trying to emulate the same argument in the other way, where people say... Well, they're not the victim, or rather in the case of um, like, like the transgender conversation, right? They're not some marginalized minority when literally every powerful entity and every corporate outlet supports them. It's quite the opposite. But in this case, it's very obvious who the underdog, who the one who is not supported, it's very apparent. The Palestinians do not have people on their side other in this case, or rather, let's put it this way. For the first time I've ever seen in the history of covering this topic, we have international entities that are finding the courage to call this genocide, to say what they're doing is wrong. Even though you can look back as we did, 2014, 2009, Amnesty International, United Nations, even Associated Press, the Reuters, calling them terrorists, saying they murdered the war crimes, nothing ever happens. Right, so who's marginalizing all this? Now, that's not even the point we're making, though. He made the point that they're being dehumanized. And she goes, but there's 300,000 of them. 
Like, just this is my point. This is the level of intelligence of people they're putting out there to argue for the side of Israel. Saying Israel is child killers, like um, all bang, all saying Israel is child killers. Like, like, what do you mean by when that? When you kill children, it's the are opposite. You a child people are killer. forgetting. Right. Well, they are killing children, so you're dumb. The, but, but, but Hamas went in and beheaded babies. And, and, just, oh, and there we are, right? So you just revert to the talking points, Laura Loomer. Babies and rape and stuff, and I can't prove any of it, but I'm just going to keep saying all the things that I'm told to say. For if the people, anybody still arguing 40 beheaded babies or just beheading babies should be laughed out of the room. Not even because it still might not end up being something that we can prove happened. I don't believe that, but anything's possible. But because there has never been any evidence to back it up other than a settler who made the argument that was parroted by I-24, that was picked up by CNN and Fox News, and literally everybody said it. And then most of them said, I'm sorry, we were wrong. And yet this person can't stop saying it. Or Biden can't stop saying it. These are not serious people. Children, and, and that garners 100,000 people going on a solidarity march. The Palestinian cause garners 300,000 people. Why do you think that is? Look at That's the not, yeah, and, and what does that have to do with Hamas? They're not protesting for Hamas. In fact, they're making that explicitly obvious. They're making sure you know that. You just don't care because you're willfully ignorant. Well, hang on, hang on. The occupation. I just don't understand what... Let, Zoe, let, let Taj just finish his point. I'm, I will let you back in. Please finish your point. My point is this. You can't, cannot have peace without justice. You cannot have peace without freedom. There was a two-state solution. A far-right government, is, Israel, is making that increasingly unlikely. Uh, Israeli society is not a monolith. They don't all have the same view on this. And I think it's important now all that right. we do whatever we can to prevent further bloodshed. That's what? the point. It's very clear that most everybody there does not agree with him. So it's it's just so it's so insulting. And as Loki points out, Israel killed 23 members of this family. Now he feels unsafe. Zoe rolls her eyes as the story is told. That's not him. That's this guy, the, the, the person he was discussing. Crazy. Now, where are we at? We're about two hours. I want you guys to see this. This is interesting. So here's the Pope. Saying this. We have gone beyond wars. This is not a war. This is terrorism. There's only, there's, it's very obvious what we're talking about here. He's not talking about just October 7th. He's talking about what has, because he's spoken about this since then. He's talking about where we are now. Israel and Biden have completely lost the moral argument globally. I agree with that. Everybody. Now, that, again, does, does this mean for you that he believes that? Or is it just a, a politically advantageous thing to do? Who knows? Stuff for you to decide. It's not off the table to argue that the Pope might be dishonest. I know that's hard for some people to wrap your mind around. But the bottom line is that this is everywhere. Groups across the board, everyone, are saying, are making sure you understand. These people are terrorists at this point. Now, we've already shown you the clip of the, uh, the, the babies left on the beds that were dead and rotting because the Israeli military kicked everybody out of the hospital and then literally left those babies there, knowing they were there. Jake Shields points out the, the journalist showing this. They were left to die. The parents were forced out of the hospital or threat of being shot. They likely left with the hopes that the Israeli army would keep their babies alive. But they did not. Here's what Kim Iverson had to say. Now, in case you didn't see it, we played this recently. And it's just very sad. That's blurred out. But you can, you can see in the video, there's versions of it that aren't. I, I recommend not. It's horrifying. They're, they're rotting old babies. It's disgusting. This is what they let happen. Multiple babies left on these beds. 
Kim Iverson said this, I've been reading extensively about this, including the testimonies from doctors that day who said that they were being forced at gunpoint to leave behind five premature infants by the IDF, forcing them to. Now, why would they ever do that? We all hope the IDF did the right thing and transferred those infants to the medical facilities, but they did not. Instead, the infants died starving and their bodies rotted. I'm sorry to be so gross about this, guys, but you need to understand how horrifying this is. There are not wild propaganda claims. These are not. The video evidence of the corpses are there to see. The testimonies and reports are for anyone to read. Go back to November 10th and read the reporting from this hospital. The doctor said, quote, we were forced to leave behind five premature infants connected to ventilators. That was the end of the story. But then the story continues today. The most moral military, in quotes, did this. By the way, anyone who claims they themselves are the most moral are not. It's a gaslighting technique. Guys, this is the reality. These people made sure they were, I mean, I mean who knows? We can't, the point is, they went in, they made sure they got left, they forced them out. They could, they, they could have allowed the doctors to take them with them like they you know, other places did. They made them leave them. Then they left them there. That's what we can prove. I think that lines up with everything else we're talking about. That's the kind of entity we're dealing with here. Now, I would argue that doesn't always have to mean the IDF individuals were all probably commanded. Then we have this clip I think is important from, uh, uh, all of a sudden blanking on his name. We've mentioned him before. He's the journalist from Haaretz. Uh, uh, dang it. Hold on. I think it says it in here. Um, remind me his name in the chat. I think it might say it right here. I want to say Gilland or something. I'm blanking on it all of a sudden. Oh, Gideon. Gideon Levy. There's a clip that says, the truth they don't want you to discover. There can someone call Israel the only democracy in the Middle East when in its backyard there is one of the most cruel, brutal tyrannies in the world. How can you do it? Can you be half pregnant? Can you be half democratic? Can you be a democracy in the front and a tyranny in your backyard? Because as you might know, Israel is maybe the only place on earth with three regimes. We are having three regimes. One is a so-called liberal democracy for its Jewish citizens, which have many cracks now, but it is still functioning. I have total freedom in Israel. This must be mentioned here. I write whatever I want. I appear on TV. I can't claim that someone is shutting my mouth, except of people in the street who wouldn't like to see me or spitting at me or who are threatening me. But by the end of the day, this freedom, which I don't take for granted and might not last for long, but this freedom is there. So that's the first regime in the front. Then comes the second regime, a very discriminative regime towards the Israeli Palestinians, the Palestinians of 48, the Israeli citizens who are Palestinians, 20% of the population. They are discriminated in any possible aspect of life, but they gain formal equal civil rights. They vote, they elect, they can be voted, they can be elected. And that's the second regime. And obviously the third regime, which is... Now, to be clear, what he's talking about right there is the amount of pa uh, Palestinians that are in like the West Bank or in, uh, you know, or in, in, in other like locations as well. I, actually, I would even argue more so not in the West Bank, but in Israel proper. But the point being that we're talking about not Gaza. 
That's the bigger difference of what we're talking about today. But realize that it, as he as he makes clear in general, that in a general sense, Arabs, as even Netanyahu made very clear when set when I've pointed out a million times, the state for the Jews alone, he made it very clear. The point is that they're just second class citizens in this apartheid state per Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Beth Selim, all of them. But it is important to understand that there's differences right there. You, there are Arab citizens that do have influence in regard to Israel proper, but very minimal compared to the average Israeli. Israeli Jew, in this case. Israel is hiding. This is the military occupation. This is the military regime in the occupied territories. And here I allow myself to say with no doubt that this is today one of the most brutal, cruel tyrannies on earth. Not less yeah, than this. Yeah, Gaza. I repeat it. The military occupation in the occupied territories is today one of the brutal, cruel tyrannies on earth. I argue, I mean, I, people refer to the occupied territories. That typically also includes the West Bank. Even though it's very different than Gaza, it's all—it's still fifteen checkpoints and you know everything else we've talked about. Now, Torah Judaism, for your daily reminder of the reality, wants to let you know that we pray to God to end the war in the Holy Land. The sole responsibility for all these deaths is the Zionist Israeli government. Zionism is a great danger to humanity, and this political ideology is today's Nazism. Zionism is never Judaism. Torah Jews stand with the Palestinian people. Torah Jews are not Zionists. And will never support the murderous and genocidal state of Israel. When this genocidal state called Israel was established, Jewish rabbis opposed and fought against Zionism. Israel is not a Jewish state. Along with a very sad video of a man with his daughter and then him holding his dead daughter after Israel bombed his family's home. Stop Zionist Hate also points out the U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution as they have many times before, only one person voted against it, equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, right? Your government is occupied, guys. It's not hard to see. Zionism is a political entity. Even anti-Semitism is talking about Semites, which Israelis are not in most cases. Palestinians are, so it's a backward and ridiculous thing in the first place. But to be clear, people are anti-Semitic in some cases. Racism exists. But to try to equate as a broad statement that everything anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism is as dumb as saying, believe women. Well, that's also what Israel's saying today, isn't it? Because it, what it means is by default, there will be people that only think Zionism is bad, but don't hate Jews, which is what they mean by anti-Semitism. But you'll pretend that they do because you made this law. Is that a constitutional law? Well, no, not even remotely, because what you're doing is creating a, a law that will suppress speech. So that means by default, this is null and void per Maybury versus Madison Supreme Court. I think 18, 1889, if I remember correctly, anything repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. I've said this so many times just because a law is passed does not make it legal or constitutional. And that does make sense. The problem is that this is about politics and Israel's influence over our government. Only Thomas Massey voted no. Unbelievable. Now, as we've said before, and I'm going to go through this, this part really quickly, Israel okays plans for thousands of new settlements, which are illegal. Even the White House said to stop. Undeniably illegal, any sense of the word, they're illegal. You, Israel just doesn't care. So now we're hearing, as it says here, as Benjamin Netanyahu himself posted tonight, the cornerstone is laid in the now I'll leave this for you guys to decide for yourself. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. This is a, I did. I even looked up the term and the actual Hebrew writing. I think this is a translation error from Google. 
but maybe not. It would be pretty crazy if he was laying a, a new settlement inside the Gaza Strip. But mark my words, I do believe that's going to happen, especially in the north. It's already, I believe they're already planning it. But what this is saying, is, if this is correct, is the cornerstones laid in the Gaza envelope, which is an area just outside the Gaza Strip, for the settlement of Ophir, named after the former head of the Negev Gate Council, the late Ophir uh, Leibstein, who was murdered by Hamas. Ophir was a leader, a man of the land of Israel, a man of construction, a man of settlements, illegal settlements. Children will grow up here and girls who will be educated about this contribution, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay, so another illegal settlement. In the midst of all this, an illegal settlement. Oh, you know, that's a great point, by the way. I should have highlighted that. Rashida Tlaib voted present. What a coward, right? I mean, I, I knew I was right. These people, like, what, the only Palestinian in the room? Or actually, well, yeah, because I don't think the other guy's even in Congress anymore. The point is, you're going to not vote against this? Seriously? That you don't recognize anti-Zionism? As re- I mean, come on. Like, that's that's cowardly, man. I don't trust any of these people. I quite frankly, I don't trust Thomas Massey. I don't trust anybody in politics, but question them all, all the time. So the point is more settlements, which are all illegal. Everybody knows that. And they're doing it now in your face. They know you're paying attention. Now, the point is not just that they're making more settlements, but at first I thought it was in Gaza, which was going to be even more important, but that everybody, and I mean, my God, like 99.9% of the comments underneath his post, which by the way is ratioed. Look at that. 4.5 likes, 4.5, excuse me, 5, I am dyslexic. Not really, but 5.4 likes, 5.4 comments. Thousand. And guys, some of these comments, <clears throat> these are these are Israelis writing in Hebrew. This one says, put down the keys and get the hell out of our lives already. Guys, these, these are directed at these people. They don't want him there anymore. It says, hey, why build a new settlement instead of first investing in the restoration of the settlements that were destroyed? It's a good point. Why? Because it's about taking property, not helping your Palestine, not your helping your Israeli citizens. Who is the new settlement for? It's for his agenda. It's for Zionism. And it says, why? And this is his comment, by the way. It says, why don't you see here the wife of the late Ophir Leibstein, his family or a medical woman? I think it's because they don't b- believe in Netanyahu is using their name anyway. And what about the people of Kafir Gaza? Were they invited or did you only or your political partners come ultra Orthodox and Masonic? Again, you form a ride on the bereavement for which you are responsible for the benefit of a political campaign, a boundless piece of vile man. Get out of our lives. Guys, it's crazy how much they've lost in Israel. These people want these specifically Netanyahu out of power. You for they're he, they're claiming he is responsible in different varying ways for, for October 7th. Here's one that says there is no need for a new settlement in the area. It's a waste of resources. Sedrat should be strengthened and existing settlements should be restored. But it takes real work. You're a PR person, so you went to stick, to stick a sign. They see right through him. This one says a living and corrupt psychopath. Only one thing you promoted and kept that the country will burn. I don't know what, the, oh, I forgot to look that up actually. Go, what does this mean? I can't, it doesn't say anything about it. Oh, here's Urban Dictionary. Let's see what it says. Oh, for hell. A similar word for hell. Kibinamat. It's probably a Hebrew word. So it says, go to hell and take your wife with you. My God. Next one. This one says, oh, this this one's really interesting. A lying and corrupt psychopath. And these are all in the same response to his post. We have already been been in this story. Your touch is not a touch of life, but of destruction of death. And they point to this. 
Remember the whole ridiculous Trump Heights, the Golan Heights that they illegally occupied that Trump pretended he could just give to them, which he couldn't. Well, guess what? I didn't know this. This is what it looks like now. Guess when that happened? Right away. This is an article from 2020. I didn't know this. It says the sign for Golan community named after Trump stripped of the letters. <laughs> That's crazy. Almost all lettering missing from the huge sign to the Trump Heights where nobody lives almost a year after its inauguration. Okay, this is all political. They just want the land. They don't, they don't want this for anybody but themselves. I was reading in the comments. Yeah, it's funny. Kim Iverson did go to Pal- go to Palestine with it with the tour that I was supposed to go on as well, actually. And I had some I had some family, same things I've dealt with for a while now that I was unfortunately unable to leave. Had to help my my parents and my grandfather. The point is, who unfortunately has now passed. I wish I could have gone because I really I wish I could have gotten the opportunity to go. I doubt I'll ever get that now, knowing I'll never be allowed there. But it was something I could have got to see. I really wanted to see the reality of it. And not the Gaza Strip, in fact. I don't, she didn't go to Gaza. She went to West Bank. But I would have loved to have seen that, too. But think about that. Isn't that crazy? This person says, first of all, you are a broken-hearted maniac. And then this one says, this weird image they posted. This one says, in the picture, a maniac with a scorched soul. I mean, my God, these people are going, they hate this person. This one says, butcher Netanyahu. May you not even have the opportunity to enter the grave in the land you the land you usurped. These are all Hebrew responses. One day we will establish the divisive in your name. Resign. Not sure what the divisive means, but this says, well done. This is true Zionism. Okay, so somebody's praising. Yay. Exactly what you might expect. Everyone's like, you're terrible. You're too gross. We hate you. And then, yay, Zionism. <laughs> exactly the point. Yay, Zionism. Steal that land. That's what we're all about. Now we have some lies I think are important. DD Geopolitics points out, Hasbara trolls be slipping. This is actually hilarious. Now, he caught the image where it translates to, Sir, here in India, we are all with you. Like in Hindu, like in Hindu you. Whatever that means. This person says you forgot to switch your account. Because he got caught. Let me show you the tweet itself. Okay, so here's that tweet. Same one. Netanyahu. Yay, new new illegal settlement. This guy, who is a journalist and Russian analyst, and is a Israeli journalist, he wrote this in Hebrew. Sir, we're here in India. We're with you. Good for Israel. Well, that obviously doesn't make sense, does it? Unless you realize that they do, in fact, have multiple accounts where they pretend to be different people. And he forgot to switch into the one that was from India. Or, you know, you could argue something else. But I just think that's hilarious. Because you can clearly see. Where was the other one, I think? Where was that? I think it was on the image. In any case, the point is, I think it's hilarious. We know this is happening. And we know that people are acting like they're supporting and that they're like, it's just, it's hilarious. And ultimately this is a Israeli journalist from Israel who is pretending to be from India and he's caught. Oh, and I had this on the way back machine, just in case. Now here's another example. Sinwar never said, oh, first of all, the tweet says Gaza report who bear again is a obvious propaganda platform. He says Hamas leader in Gaza in his first Publicized statement since launching a of floods campaign says the leaders of the occupation should know October 7th was just a rehearsal. 
Right. We we keep this is something we can. This is a new one, but we've been seeing these right where Eli David says this is what Hamas leaders say. Well, most of these turn out to be false. In this case, it says he never said anything about October 7th. And obviously, Gaza reports is not something you should be listening to. But it says the statement they're referring to is actually from 2021. And you can prove it. Where the And it says and it, about the Israeli-Hamas escalation, guardians of the walls, which we actually just referenced. Sinwar has been notably silent for the last eight weeks. But that didn't stop them from claiming this for Western audiences that don't know better. Here's another one. This guy, man, one of the most prolific propagandists in this whole thing. Hens Mazig. Some guy with a pink beanie on in his platform. It says, every day when the Israeli little kids and elderly women hostages are released from the hell of Hamas, which doesn't seem that way when they come out, when they're smiling and shaking hands and laughing, but it says a mob of Gaza gather around, not to wish them farewell, but to wish them death. It's torture to watch. Okay. So I, th- I think I, I might have loaded it. Let's see. No, it's just right here. The point is, here's what you see. So you can listen to the whole thing. Really, the only discernible thing you can hear is Alu Akbar. And as I said the other day, these people know well that most uninformed Western people hear that and think terrorism, which is, by the way, a most egregious example of how bigoted and ignorant a lot of people are. That's like if we were to say, I praise God, and somebody on the side of the world said terrorism. Well, anything could mean that, but that's a really dumb thing to say when that's just a very benign statement that literally everybody says. The point is if you want to listen to it and if you speak Arabic or if you want to ask anybody that speaks Arabic, he says, you know, millions of people speak Arabic, right? Not a single person said anything close to what you said at all. What, what difference is there between you and Jackson Hinkle, both of you life or engagement? I agree with that. In fact, my God, but guys, it never ends. You check it out for yourself. Here's another one. Eli David. You might have seen this guy being used as some kind of like a, you know, here he is pretending to be X, Y, and Z. Now, who knows? Maybe that's true. I don't think so. I think he's just a, 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 a social media person. He has an account that people follow, and he became one of these kind of prominent, just like many of the journalists, where they started filming and going from location to location and filming what he saw and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the point. Let's just pretend for sake of conversation, he is a Hamas operative and he's been lying. Whatever. That's not the point of this. The point is to show you that even within that, Eli David doesn't either doesn't care to check or just blatantly lies to you. He says, this guy just arrived in Qatar. Are you surprised that in Qatar, the main supporter of Hamas? Well, guess what, David? Your Netanyahu president or prime minister is openly working with them. In fact, he promised Qatar that he would not do anything until after this operation. And Qatar is the mediator that he's working with to deal with Hamas. Doesn't that make you an absolute moron? Yeah, it really does. But here is the point that Community Notes will never follow up on because it's very one-sided today. The video is from 10 months ago. I mean, I could guarantee he knows that. These people are drowning in their lies. So the point is, whether or not you think he's a propagandist, that Eli David took a video from 10 months ago and said he just got to to cut her because Hamas. These people are really bad or that stupid. Now, here's other things we're getting. The kind of believe us story. Here's a room with stuff in it and let us fill in the context for you. As this same guy, Israeli spokesman, says, Hamas not only stole concrete for its tunnels, which by the way, in an interesting way, admits that they made sure they never got concrete. So that undermines the allegation that they refused to build wells and other infrastructure. No, yeah, see, they can't stop lying. 
and they get caught when they have to lie about something else. They never allowed them to have the infrastructure or the materials to build any of that stuff. And there's your example. They had, even if this is true, they had to steal it, which means you never let them have it. So when you argue that they never built the things, I mean, it's just so dumb how obvious this is. But the point is, how do we know where this is or what they did? All it says is they then filled those tunnels in with stolen aid. Oh, so they weren't using the tunnels? <laughs> That's just so stupid. They just, they just say whatever comes into their mind that day, and it seems they don't even care if it's contradicted by what they said yesterday. So first of all, the humanitarian aid was not coming through until very recently. And whatever was, was barely being enough to even give. The point is they've been lying about what they've been doing from day one. They never had the ability to do this, but they said they stole it. So now they cemented up the tunnels that they claimed they were using before and filled it with the very aid that they might want. Why would they do that? You don't think they would take that with them? It's like they claim they left all of their well-prepared weapons before the, these people are bad at this. And here's the end point of all of these last few things is trust us. Here's what I think you're supposed to see. Trust us. This, what you're about to see is the, the speaker, the UK speaker of the house of commons in Israel. As this person says, sorry, why is the speaker of the house in Israel under what possible mandate? Has this ever happened before any other conflict? Will the speaker be visiting Yemen next? Seeing it right through him. But here's what he says. Can I just say, unless you witness and you come to see what's happened, you cannot imagine the atrocity that took place. To actually witness weeks afterwards, you can still see the effects of what's happened. You can still smell in the air. Yeah, you could still, yeah, because they're shot the wall. Like, so what, so what does that have any, what, where's the value in that? You, you can still see all the damage. Well, yeah, because they haven't done anything to it. What does that prove to anybody? These are all emotional points. You can still smell the death in the air. These people are ridiculous. I mean, this is my point from before. The politicians, the media, like, I feel like we're being ruled by the dumbest people in the world. Death. And that's what we're smelling is death but it's actually to witness the way that it's gone from house to house complete destruction oh is that what you witnessed or are you looking at houses and you have no idea about the context annihilation of innocent people and i always say it is the innocent that plays the ultimate price and we can see that on the wall yeah clearly but you're literally standing with the people that are making them pay that price so sad how dumb these people are man i mean it, or liars here's another example Here's this guy saying Hamas seriously abused our children. The survivors were physically terrorized. Well, that seems to be wildly contradicted by literally everyone they let out. But let's just hear what he has to say. Maybe he's got testimony that he can show you, right? Maybe he's maybe you've got the kid right there who's going to say, I was tortured. What do you think? Let's find out. Testimonies are harrowing. Little Emily Hans' father, Thomas, has movingly told media that she only speaks in whispers because she was conditioned not to make a noise. Yeah, you know, the girl that you told him he was killed, that you lied about. You claimed you found her body, but now she came home. So now you're still using her for propaganda. He sees the terror in her eyes. She thought that she had been held hostage for a whole year. Is that what she's saying, or is that what you're saying? Certainly possible. Maybe she is saying that. But why is it that every single thing that aligns with their narrative is only being filtered through their controlled entities? And then literally everything else challenges that narrative. 
That takes a special kind of stupid to not see that. Her face is gaunt. She thought that everyone, including her father, had been murdered or abducted on October 7th, and her father has had to break the news to her that her stepmother had also been murdered on that dark day. Yep, by Israeli shelling of the houses, which we now know. He says she cries herself to sleep until her face is red. She didn't want any comfort, said Mr. Hand. I guess she forgot how to comfort herself. She got under the covers, covered herself, and cried quietly. Not reasonable conditions by any stretch of the imagination. What does that mean? Reasonable conditions? So she's home with her father, and she's sad, you're saying. And that's, I think he, I think he actually just mixed up like that was supposed to be taking place under Hamas. Like, I think this is just desperate. Like, look, it's highly likely that this girl is traumatized because it was a scary reality. But for this to be the focus, while you're literally overshadowing one of the largest atrocities in living memory, the amount of children that have been killed alone, and your story is about how she's scared, again, that obviously matters. But my point is context. We're having some... Having some uh, Planking on the word. The point is understanding the full context of the situation and not pretending like only this is the same as the ongoing bombings in Gaza and then a rocket that fell in a field that caused someone to have a nervous break or have a have a panic attack. Remember you know how long that's been the story? Long before October 7th. The bombing, the bombing, the killing, buildings being brought down, and then oh, the story turns out how she skinned her knee over here in Israel. That's I and mean, that's what we're talking about. This is just a higher level of the problem, which, yes, are very, and even then, skin knee, she's scared. That certainly matters. But you see why it doesn't matter when you're watching people get killed over here? So the point is that in that case, because the skin knee, in this case, we're talking about a child who I guess he's telling us is traumatized. I don't know if that's the case, but if she was, makes sense. And that should matter to us. But then you damn well better move on to go, yep. And then that is even crazier. But you see, they're hoping that you end up going outrageous. How dare they scare this child? Let's go back and kill everybody in Palestine. But it's not working. 12-year-old Eitan Yahalomi, uh, according to his aunt, was threatened at gunpoint when he cried, forced to watch films of Hamas atrocities, those being the films uh, we assume that Hamas recorded on its own GoPros. Aha, and here's a problem. Because what we're being told is it was actually the film that the IDF used. Contradiction. I believe we're being lied to. I'm going to show you that in a second. October 7th, and was beaten in the streets when he was abducted into Gaza on October 7th. Yeah, so his aunt says, and that's the one I have yet to confirm this. And I haven't even confirmed technically that what she says, it, what the, the subtitles are actually what she says. It's in Hebrew. I've been asking people, but it's seeming limited to get people a response. The point is that even if that is the, what she's saying, that's what she says he experienced. It's very strange how we're not getting any firsthand accounts of any real bad things. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Uh, Daphna and Ella Eliakim, aged 15 and 8, told their grandmother that their captors told them that nobody wanted them back home and scared them with the threat that they would be killed. Which, by the way, you can literally prove is what people were telling the Palestinians in Israeli jails. So it's almost like they're just projecting what they were doing to them. But it's certainly possible it happened on both sides. But my point is, you don't have and you don't have a Hamas member telling you that, right? You've got those people telling you that. In this case, you've got the Israeli government telling you what they experienced. Very different, isn't it? But overall, you're describing a bunch of children that made it home safely. 
as opposed to all of the children children that you've been murdering in Gaza. It didn't you also tell us that they were just out to kill everybody no matter what? And it was all about murdering kids because they were so mean. To, oh, I guess that's changed now. So we walked back a little bit. Now they're terrible because they didn't, because they kidnapped them, which, yeah, that's terrible. But it's interesting how rapidly your narrative changes and with no explanation whatsoever. Now here is just, I'll just, this is just this. I'm not, I'm not very familiar with this kid. And quite frankly, I'm not, some of his work is a little bit all over the place, but I think this is the, this is the, uh, Mr. Hand, the, the father of the girl, the girl that they told was dead. I'll, I'll you watch it for yourself. Point is he says he doesn't buy it. Right. And why that would have happened. Why would the IDF go and say, we found your daughter's body and it turns out that she's alive. How does that even make sense? Right. That's important. Now, we also told you that the music festival massacre survivors, as they frame it, were involuntarily committed due to mental breakdowns. So we're told. So who exactly is psychologically terrorizing people? Right? Are we going to pretend that these all, these, they're all at psych? I mean, why would they all be involuntarily committed? As I said, or they're saying things we're not supposed to hear, like they were shot at by the IDF. Let's not forget that as well, what reported from Channel 12, I, I showed you this when it happened. The, the Israeli military had basically a checkpoint system for people released. The stages that their people will go through, right? The first stage, they'll go through the hands of from Hamas to the Red Cross and then to IDF forces. Then after being transferred to the, the army from IDF or to the army, the abductees will undergo an initial examination by medical officials established in the army for this purpose. After that, the abductees will be transferred to medical centers through the country and will be reunited with their families. Then, during their stay in the medical centers, the medical officials will coordinate with security officials will decide if the condition of their released abductees allows them to be interrogated. After the authorities confirm this, the abductees will undergo a security investigation by basically the FBI. In the case of the children who are released, they'll be interrogated by qualified child investigators. Does that sound like you'd, you would treat a hostage? Maybe. Or maybe it's very carefully controlled. In the sixth stage, they'll be transferred to the care of government ministries that will assist them with their needs. So at every stage, you're being carefully managed. Now, this is just strange. DJ honors victims of the Nova Festival by performing it at an empty massacre site. This is the kind of propaganda we're getting. This is weird. This is real. This is a DJ who's literally playing to the images of who were taken, many of which were killed by the IDF, but that, we'll ignore that for right now. And it simply says, on Tuesday, Israeli DJ honored the memories of them by playing it in a set of the photos. Like, why? That means that's weird. It doesn't mean anything. You, it, it, it is for this. It is for this shot and that camera to be like, here's what we're doing. It's This is the same as the, the 200 cribs to represent some of the children. Right, so you got, you're claiming 200 people were taken. Not all of them were children that needed cribs, but you put out 200 cribs in child's beds. It's because we're being propagandized. This is very strange. Post-millennial puts this out. <laughs> this woman, ah, she, it, it is, she is something alarmingly, it's just, she has a special kind of evil in my opinion. And I'll just let, let it speak for itself, then I'll comment. Great replacement theory. 
was recently amplified on Twitter slash X by none other than its owner, Elon Musk, and the right-wing darling, Tucker Carlson. Terrorists used the platforms to terrorize target populations, and Hamas even used the personal accounts of hostages and victims to live stream their brutality to incite further violence. Is that actually what happened? I mean, I'm sure she doesn't care to check anything. This is the narrative we're being told, right? I don't remember there being live streams of this. I remember seeing videos. I know we got that narrative, and that's what a lot of people said at the beginning. How is that fleshed out? Because realize, even what she said there changes the next time she says it. Mr. Taibbi, yes or no? And why is Matt Taibbi back in this situation? Isn't this strange? That, like he's somehow now on the hook for like Twitter stuff just forever? How does that make sense? But social media companies allow rape and murder to be live streamed by terrorists on their platforms. And- rape and murder? Oh, so now we're claiming rape was live streamed? I, w- I, I, would, I, I would love her to, well, I shouldn't say it like that. I don't love any of that. How about she proves that? I'm willing to bet you everything that that's not true. There is no live stream rape, quite frankly, because I don't think rape actually happened simply because of the way that they have floundered in this discussion and the lack of evidence. But if the evidence comes, we'll absolutely report that. And I would not be surprised, just like I wouldn't be surprised if an American soldier raped somebody or an Israeli soldier raped somebody, like has happened endless amount of times in the history of this occupation, provably reported by international community. In order to create fear and incite violence. I believe that would violate their terms of service. Would it so, not? so your answer is no, it, it should not do they, they should not be allowed to do that. It's like she's acting like she's some kind of gotcha moment. Obviously, who in the world is arguing you should be able to live stream rape? It's, it's a, it's a trap. It's a manufactured gotcha moment. These people are, I mean, not only is this ridiculous, but again, I act, this is not that smart. Anybody with a brain can see through what she's trying to do right there. Yeah. Live stream rape and fear and incite violence. I believe that would violate their terms of service. Would it so, not? so your answer is no. It, it should not. Do, they, they should not be allowed to do that. Live stream rape and murder. No, right. I, think that, I think that would count as. Does anybody think that speech that would be prohibited under? Yeah, and it's also a crime, though. That's the right response. Understand that pe- people are when you live stream a crime. That's not free speech. You're committing a crime. That's like pretending that you can live stream murder and somehow that's allowed because free speech. No, you're committing murder. That's a problem. Now, even then, this, the, the platforms themselves have terms of service that I can argue does not apply to absolute free speech, but they have a stated terms of service and you could choose to use the platform or not. That's in on, on regard, you know, not even getting into the government overlap to all that. But the point is that that is already stated. So what is the world is she talking about? She's trying to set up something to make a point. That's how, I mean, <laughs> again, we should make fun of these people. Their term, term good, good. You do have absolutist policies, um, but I do least, not have absolute. Least, I do. I do not have. Please don't interrupt me. You have absolute. <laughs> let me tell you what you have, and you damn well better not speak back. <laughs> like she, I think she thinks she's got more power than she does. Like if I were in, if I were in his position, there's no way you're going to stop. I would say, how dare you? I'm going to speak right over you because you don't get to tell me what I am. You're wrong. You're lying. Like, why? There's, there's no decorum when you know she's being dishonest. I've asked your question. You answered it. Salutist policies. Um, but I do least, not have absolute. Least, I, do, I do not have. Please don't interrupt me. You have absolute. I've asked your question. You answered it. You do have absolutist policies. At least they have some <laughs> limits. But I think a Homeland Security official. Um, 
With respect, if, if, if Congresswoman, all journalists me, operate reclaiming under my time. limits. If a Homeland Security official... <laughs> you are, you are. Shut up. You are. You are. She's childish is what she is. That's petty and childish, too. But, by the way, for someone's comment, I should make it clear. I mean, I thought it was, but to be very clear, I'm not suggesting that this never happened before. I'm, I'm specifically referring to October 7th and whether Hamas livestreamed rape. I'm aware that there's been horrible things like that in the past. That's why, obviously, those are you can't commit any crime. Well, I mean, arguably, you shouldn't legally even be able to live stream theft because it's a crime. As much, as much as it's a nonviolent crime in most cases, it's still a crime, right? The point is, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep on the free speech. You guys know my stance on free speech. I do have an absolutist mindset when it comes to speech. Yes, I do. And that's arguably, that's the only free speech that that's just being honest about it. Terrible people say terrible things and they're allowed to say terrible things. That's free speech. When they commit crimes, hold them accountable. The, the moment we ever started to pretend that speech equated to action, it's just, it's, that's, that's when they started to remove your constitutional, well, long before that, but in the, in the realm of free speech, they started to chip away at it more than ever. So echoed your opinion, you would call it censorship, but I'm glad that at least you acknowledge that rape and murder should not be allowed on social media platforms. See, so by saying because he answered the question, you know, the way he would, you insinuate that he's contradicting what he said before, even though that's not true. That was her little tired, petty, childish moment where she set him up to say it to then pretend his stance is this. Therefore, you're lying. Moving on. That's <laughs> just God, she's stupid. I mean, we have to laugh at that. Uh, Troy, I have the same question. Yes or no. Should social media companies take down brutal images of rape and murder live streamed by Hamas or similar groups like ISIS? Same point. That did not happen on October 7th in regard to the live streaming of rape. Now, whether rape happened, you could argue is still up in the air. But I would argue at this point, the lack of evidence, the admission of lack of evidence, and everything else around this story has proved that they don't have the proof which would at the very least for an honest journalist mean we don't know. Not that we assume it did until otherwise stated. As we've shown you from the 9th, amid war and urgent need to ID bodies. This is November 9th, by the way. Evidence of Hamas's October 7th rape slips away. Now, the, the title can be deceiving because when you actually read this, what it says is they never took forensic evidence under the guise that they were, you know, war focused and whatever else, whatever the narrative is, you can believe it or not, they never took the evidence. So that means at best, they're operating off superficial evidence, which is something you can say, oh, you know, she had this happen to her and their clothes were off. OK, well, you might be able to. But again, from a journalistic perspective, that means we don't know. So you should not say this happened as a fact. And you read through it. It's, we went we went over this entirely. <clears throat> In fact, I think it was on this show right here or maybe not. Maybe I went over it again for the second time. But this was Israel caught using old images, proof of rape on October 7th, which was this where they very clearly did the website they have endorsed, where this comes directly from them, all of these posts and images and videos, where they say it was a Nova victim raped and killed. This was used from October 7th forward. It went around the world and back. Then they deleted it after, I think, Max Blumenthal caught it, and then we caught that they deleted it. Point is, you can prove right here that this is from March 8th, at least 2022. Same image. And yet you've got all the people, like the guy we pointed out right at the beginning, who claims he saw it. Who says, I walked by, not, not just in the screening, mind you. People that said, I saw that when I was there. So they're lying. Because it wasn't. It was a lie. And they've deleted it now. So th- we have to realize, doesn't mean everybody all the time is lying. But there is a very, very surreptitious whole of narrative problem here. Where they're lying about everything. 
or trying to because I think they know they're caught. But the point here is that there is no evidence. So to claim, as she's claiming, one, there were rapes, or two, that they were live-streamed, just shows you how dishonest, how bought and paid for these people are. Now, should this evidence come, and not just of photographs where they fill in the context, but actual evidence, then we'll absolutely report that. I should say proof, excuse me, actual proof. Now, here is what he's saying. Today. Again, just forcefully trying to shoehorn in that square peg in the round hole because nobody believes them at this point because they keep getting shown to be lying and their evidence isn't forthcoming. But they win somebody over every time they do this. Five days after the barbaric acts of sexual violence by the Hamas rapist regime, we also welcome the Secretary General's call for a vigorous investigation into those accounts of sexual violence against Israeli women and girls that call is too little too late but it is a welcome start the secretary so, general Nodim, we also welcome five days after the barbaric acts of sexual violence by the hamas rapist re rapist regime like like just for this one moment that's what you're going to lean into because you, rape is the focal point tomorrow it'll be the kidnapping regime or you know what it's just it's just clumsy it's always clumsy you're, you're too on the nose with what you're doing. Regime. We also welcome the Secretary General's call for a vigorous investigation. In the re that was the point right there first. You know why that's a fail? Because they've been calling his asking for an investigation as an insult. They've been saying, how dare you not blindly state what we told you is the reality. Now they're walking it back a little bit, going, we agree, we should be. In well, if you claim you should be investigating, that means that you haven't proven it. Because they haven't proven it. But yet they're still stating that as fact. Into those accounts of sexual violence against Israeli women and girls, that call is too little too late, but it is a welcome start. The Secretary General notes that these crimes must... Well, I, see, what's the best you're going to get is, is secondhand information. Because I have yet to hear firsthand testimony from anybody that that happened. Which, by the way, we shouldn't really expect because that's their right to be able... They don't want to talk about it. That's, that, I mean, that's... One, I mean, think, that is one of the things that I respect. The, my whole life, I have seen how women are abused and manipulated sexually and otherwise. And it's always been a very sensitive thing for me, likely because I, you know, single mother and so on. That's probably why. But I, it's always been a really sensitive spot for me. I can't stand it watching people take advantage of women or, or manipulating them. It's, it's a hard thing. And it's like even I've said this before, even in movies where you get like a rapes, I can't even watch it. It makes me sick. Like I should for anybody, quite frankly, but more than more than usual. Like I'm, I don't even, I can't even stomach it. My point. Welcome. Start. The Secretary General notes that these crimes must be prosecuted, and indeed Israel is committed to bringing the rapists of October. I was making a point there. I just lost it. it I think what I was saying. I just lost it. In any case, I think overall there was an important point there. I definitely had something I was going to say. I, I always do that with my tangents and I rolled off on my point. Well, see, now we're almost three hours. That's what I do to myself. I talk too long, but some of you enjoy it. <laughs> some of you want me to keep going on forever. Well, anyway, just what I was ultimately saying is I think that, you know, I, I have a hard time with that because I think, well, I don't know. I'm going to try to do it try to find my point again. I don't want to waste time. It's been too long. Overall, back to the original point is that what we're putting forward here is that the United Nations is now investigating Based on your allegations, oh, oh, that's what I was saying is that, oh, so I'm glad, I'm glad I found it again, that women having to give testimonials about this. You, you have to respect that that's something that is possibly hard.
that's why I went back to the other point. If it, like just have like a, you know, as we all should, like a reverence for, a, that might be not the right word for it, but just, a, it, nobody should force them to have to relive that. But my point is that that is from a journalistic and verifiable standpoint. We cannot just pretend that that's why we did. If they're saying it's there, we can't prove it. We don't want to force them. Then say, okay, I respect that. But we can't go on pretending that it's proven though. So when the UN goes into this investigation, the best they're going to get now will be people stating that that's happened. If that's actually how it goes. Maybe IDF saying they know it happened. But that even in itself, we've already seen members in Israeli society or IDF members blatantly claim things that we know were false. 40 had a babies was a settler. The rape allegations. I mean, it, these are coming from people that have been shown to be false. Or one we just showed you claiming, I saw them do this. I saw that. And they're lying. So we need to be careful about that as well. Against Israeli women and a welcome start. The secretary general notes that these crimes must be prosecuted. And indeed, Israel is committed to bringing the rapists of October 7th to justice. Now, exactly how would you do that? So you get, let's say you got a woman that says, yep, that guy raped me. Well, there's no forensic evidence. It's his word versus hers. So the point is you will actually never have legal accountability. Why? Because they chose not to. That's the point to understand. They made a point. Remember, this went on, there was a, they, in the article, they tell you it's a weak period. So I understand. You could argue that in the very beginning, the first day, first two days, that you're focused on what responding. After the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, you're telling me at that point the forensics, the forensic analysis analysts are saying we have two more days to maybe get some evidence about this. They said it's like about a seven day window, and they just decided not to because war. Hardly the forensic analysts aren't in war; they're in their labs, and you're we're going to be told that they showed no. I believe that's because there was no evidence. Which even then doesn't mean it didn't happen, but that means that they decided to lie about this, to push it off. And so now here he is telling you that we're going to push for legal accountability. Okay, but how? It's a very easy question. All on the international community to draw the appropriate conclusions. Aha, that's why. Draw the appropriate conclusions based on what we keep telling you is the reality. And if you don't, we're going to call you racist. Stand with Israel as it dismantles the Hamas terrorists. It's obvious. It's obvious. Now, same point here. Piers Morgan, of course, always, you know, trying to project what he what he wants to look like some kind of moral person. So spineless sympathetic, he says. If you think he's talking about himself, you'd be mistaken. Of course, he says, if Hamas had misused someone's personal pronouns or said biological males shouldn't compete in women's sports, trying to tap into that, she would instantly and furiously condemn them. Okay. Well, he's talking about the fact that what they said is, can you just condemn Hamas? The same thing they always do. A UN member. Well, what she says is, well, yeah, we'll investigate. But see, you know why that's not acceptable to them? Because they don't want to investigate. Here's what's funny. He literally today, because I think this was, yeah, this was the 29th. So today he comes out and goes, okay, fine. They're investigating and we'll call that a good thing. Well, explain to me why then when she says we're investigating here, you guys all call her a denier. You can't have both of these that they, because they're lying about everything. Priority. And Is again, I'm reason? not supporting the United Nations. Never will be, I don't think. Just because I simply think that it's a compromised entity. But my point is that what they're doing is putting them on the spot for not saying, we'll blindly say rape happened without any evidence. Because that's what they want. 
often, though, Sarah, that you can't specifically call out Hamas and the mounting evidence now over seven weeks that Israeli investigators have collected that we've shown our viewers about the atrocities they committed specifically on October 7th? Because I think that's the crux of the issue here. It's not just condemning sexual violence against women and in any war in general. It's specifically... Now, now why wouldn't that be okay? Because wouldn't that be the point? Aren't we talking about women being sexually manipulated? So I, it's about making it about one. It's because you need them to say what you need them to say. Obviously, that's acceptable to say, yeah, I condemn it all, wherever it happens, no matter what. That's like saying, you can't say all lives matter, only black lives matter, or whatever else. Same thing. Obviously, saying all lives matter does apply, just not the way you want it to. You see, it's like saying about the whole thing where you're going, well, look at what they've been doing to Gaza this whole time. Like, do you condemn Hamas? It's, it's just like, it's just, we're, it's a redirection of outrage. All of them come out at the same time. What occurred on October 7th, perpetrated by Hamas? Indeed, UN Women always supports impartial, independent investigations into any serious allegations of... Very clear what she's doing. She's, she heard what she said. She's responding by saying, there's not proof. So we need an investigation without saying it bluntly, right? Saying, well, we investigate everything. So that answer clearly shows that she's saying we don't have the proof yet. That's what the point, that's why the next day he goes up to say, okay, we're investigating. It's not what we wanted, but it's right. Okay. Obvious. Can you read between the lines? There's no evidence, guys. They're, they're just pushing, pushing, pushing. And even the UN team is going, well, yeah, we'll investigate gender-based or sexual violence. And within the UN family, these investigations are led by the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights. And just to provide a little bit of context in terms of UN women's role, UN women specifically provides and has extensive knowledge on gender-based violence and provides and supports investigations as we do with all UN investigations. And so you get the point investigations, right? We're responding by saying an investigation is necessary. Well, not the response they wanted. Inversely, you can see 22 days ago, in the middle, essentially, U.S. warns, or excuse me, the United Nations warns nothing less than survival of women, girls at stake at Gaza. Right. So here's the point. You don't need an investigation to prove that. It's obvious. That's why they said this, because it's obvious, because you can watch the children and women who, by the way, amount to about 70% of the total killed per literally everybody other than Israel being murdered. So they go, yeah, look, it's right there. That's important. We should call it out. When asked about the rape allegations, they say, well, we need investigation. And that's not okay. Because all they demand is a one-sided blind following. Now, UNRWA, the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, says that they have verified 104 incidents at 82 different UN locations. Since the beginning, 52 people die in them. They continue to provide healthcare to people at shelters through 126 of these areas, which also get attacked. Over 100 UN members have been killed. And of course they go, well, they're terrorists. Stop funding them. That's we already shown you. UN facilities. Dr. Eli David Propaganda says Germany stops funding UNRWA terrorists. God, these people are pathetic. Like, just, you could argue that they are supporting Hamas or some of them might allow them to work there, but to just suddenly label them terrorists? Like, why can't you be a little more tactful?
this is why people laugh at you guys because it's so blunt and clumsy and only the people that already follow you go, yeah, bad guys. Even though I'm absolutely going to call out the fact that the UN and the WHO are actively trying to circumvent our sovereignty. That's different than realizing that they're not all working directly with Hamas on the ground. Germany freezes aid for UNRWA because Germany is absolutely the one most clearly in lockstep with, with Israel right now for obvious reasons. And it says here, UNRWA is an organization for displaced Palestinian refugees, you effing psychopath. Gosh, crazy, man. I'm not going to say that, there, look, we'll, we'll see even just say for, it's highly possible that some of these locations have allowed it or some of them work on both. That's, that's certainly possible. But to just broad stroke all of them, and you know what it really does? This is Eli David allowing murder of UN members and the people sheltering there because, well, they're all terrorists, because I said so. This is a bad person. No matter what the truth is, that's a disgusting person. Now, the hostage part of this, the prisoner part, I've already shown you this one. This was a video from uh, the 28th showing this girl with her dog, you know, seeming pretty un in unperturbed by the whole thing. Most of them waving and smiling. <clears throat> well, this propagandist as well says Hamas shot this person's dog and then her brother in front of her, then dragged her sobbing by the hair into the underground tunnel. They kept her for two months in horrific conditions. Hamas raped Israeli girls, brutalized their bodies, slaughtering babies, right? Just running through the, the, the gambit of all the lies or, you know, things we can't prove. They gave the hostage a bottle of water and forced them to smile and say goodbye if they didn't want to die. Well, maybe, but it's weird how they went home and they kept saying the same things, bud. All along the Red Cross, just standing there and allowing them to be brought back to their families. Yeah, that's what they're there for. Don't share the video. Yeah, don't let them see the truth. God, these people are drowning. My point is this. Why would they allow this woman to have her dog and they would shoot the other one? Why would they? Like, it's, it's certainly possible. But my main point is it's interesting how all in this the girl they're claiming, smiling, my point is, why is it that every negative point, I already said it earlier, that aligns with their agenda is being filtered through people like this? I'm not hearing her say that. I'm not hearing any of them say that other than people, of other people refer, ref, re, relaying it to you. Ali Amunab, uh, uh, I always screw up his name, Abunama from Electronic Intifada points out one of the dialogues between these people. And I'll play the video for you. I thought about using this image today. But I, I wanted people to really see the gravity of the first image based on that earlier article, the deliberate targeting of civilians. But this video, and I'll just play it for you, showing they're you know shaking hands, saying thank you, you okay, you happy, using a term of endearment with one of the Hamas members, sort of like shalom and shaking their hand. Right? This is it's, there's no coming back from this. This is not unique. It doesn't mean everybody was treated fairly because we don't know. They haven't all come out yet. And in fact, I'll show you one of the examples of one of the people saying they weren't, or at least the ant claiming that he wasn't. But my point is, you just can't pretend that all these people that still to this day are claiming they were treated fairly just doesn't apply. This video challenges pretty much everything they're saying, like a lot of it does. All of them look comfortable, well-fed, very different than what we see coming out of these Israeli jails, for sure. 
Look, the girl, this girl in the back, by the way, the left side all the way in the back with the black shirt on, she, she's very clearly, you know, putting her hands in a prayer symbol. Thank you. And then watch the way she reacts when they, when they basically shake hands. Watch her though. Look at that. Look at that. There's just, guys, look, you don't, that's not a scared person pretending to be happy because he might get killed. And again, <clears throat> they have gone on to maintain these narratives after they left. Every one of them. Everyone in that room is smiling or that band, excuse me, not in some half terrified way, but like, almost like this is hilarious because maybe it is to them in the sense of this is not what we were. These people are being super kind. It's super weird. That doesn't mean that it's okay. They got kidnapped guys. No one's saying that. But the point is, you just have to be honest about the reality that we're watching in front of us. <laughs> Look at that. That's the girl right there that they're claiming. Look at that picture right there. That's the girl they're claiming. She was... She shot her dog. That's her right there. And then dragged her sobbing by the hair. And they kept her there for horrific conditions. They rape people in front of her. But they when they threatened her. And that's why she's lying. Is that what that looks like to you? This is what it looks like to see people drowning in their lies. <laughs> Go smiling, yeah, older woman. Good job, good vibe. Say high five. Good, good luck. No. Gali. Bye bye, Shukran. Bye bye. We go home. Bye. Masalama. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as I said many times, it's certainly possible that they're just intentionally being super kind, endearing to some people. So when they release them, it looks the opposite. That's that's possible too. I've said that from the beginning. Nonetheless, you just it, what's hilarious is they um, they can't even say that. Like if I was in Israel's position, I would be like, you know, I'd say, look, they, maybe they treated him kindly, but that doesn't mean they did everywhere else. And I can prove throughout history that see that would be an honest engagement. But what they do is what that other guy did. No, she's secretly being threatened, and you'll find out. And uh, it's just—it's just bad. Right. So to people that don't understand what, what praise God means and the, and the prayer, of course, they're super terrified, but yeah, they're holding guns and they have scary masks on. And, you know, the reality is that they could be just as terrifying and dangerous and violent as the U S government or the Israeli government. 
The point is to engage with the facts and look at what we can prove. So as he's pointing out, it's very opposite we're being told. As Freddie Pontone points out, it's going to be a rather challenging video for the Israeli public to digest. Many Israelis having difficulty to yet come to terms with the fact that Hamas is just a resistance group that fights for its people's liberation and the end of occupation, something we can all relate to. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that exactly. I think it's much more complicated. There are different part factions and parts still, I think, that are to some degree aligned with Israel, the United States. It's very complicated. But nonetheless, you have to acknowledge that what we're being shown is very challenging to the overall narrative. That's the main point for me. And this person simply says, this DAP will be captured in the history books as the final blow to the Zionist propaganda campaigns. Just funny. That shaking hand is pretty hard. Now, again, all these different images of happy shaking hands and so on. And then this is very telling. Classic. Uh, this image is classic. Hebrew Channel 13 is reporting that Israeli prime minister has requested a meeting with one of those families. And guess what? They rejected his, his request. That is very obvious. They don't even want to meet with him. They know what he was doing. They know he was bombing. I think they know the truth. And DD Geopolitics points out these mass protests, this is on the 25th, outside Netanyahu's home, not just the minister, the ministry, but actually outside the residence, demanding his resignation. Huge. Drone footage, anti-net protest, Netanyahu protest. Now, I believe that these might be in regard to the judicial reforms. In either case, the point is these people want Netanyahu removed from office. Now, here is one of the allegations that we see about this is name. His name is Etienne. So Galji, this person, <clears throat> simply reporting what the people are saying. He was kidnapped to Gaza alone, witnessing his father bleeding on the floor. His mother was taken as well. They wouldn't. Um, he was released last night. Etienne was taken. He was just released last night. What happened to him? Well, I'd love to hear what he has to say. But here's what his aunt said. After his release, the aunt told French TV again, which I'm guessing she's saying because I haven't been able to verify this. If you speak Hebrew, please let me know. I tried to use the breakdown, like use one of these apps that would translate the audio into subtitles, and it came out as like nonsensical gobbledygook. So I want you guys tell me, no, let me know what you think. After his release, his aunt told him that he's been through the kind of people in Gaza. She has, he's been through with the kind people in Gaza. She explained that he's wor she's worried Hamas terrorists forced him to watch the massacre of October 7th. <clears throat> when he cried, they threatened him with a rifle. He was alone in Gaza for 16 days, beaten by Gazan citizens around him, lynched. Wasn't lynched. Oh, the only 16 days they transferred him. Okay, the point is, here's the kid right here. Not hurt, not bruised, not beaten, not lynched, not which, by the way, lynched typically means dead, by the way. But he says he was finally released and reunited with, reunited with his mother. Now, why is the mother not speaking? Why is the aunt speaking? Very strange. Now, this person simply says, FYI, the lynched in English commonly means murdered. But my point is, okay, maybe it is possible. Maybe, that, maybe that's what happened. It's certainly possible. Why does it then contradict everybody else's story? And why aren't we hearing these terrifying stories other than through somebody else? Maybe just because they're terrified, they don't want to speak. Or maybe something else. Here is my point that I said earlier. 12-year-old Israeli hostage was held at gunpoint, forced to watch horrors. This one also refreshed on me, but it says, after the release of 12-year-old ATN, there it was right there, on Monday night from Hamas, his aunt depicted a terrible treatment. He was kidnapped. I wanted to hope that he was treated well. Let me just find that one port right here. 
It says very clearly, Hamas forced him to watch the uncensored October 7th documentary released by the IDF. What? Okay, so over here, he's telling us they forced him to watch. Where was it? This one. Where was it? I forget. Whatever. I think it was this one or whichever one it was saying that he was forced to watch their GoPro videos. That's what he said. Okay. Well, that's not what they're, the family is saying. That's not what they're, so it seems like there's a big inconsistency there, which speaks to possible dishonesty, but also ask yourself, how in the world would Hamas get the IDF uncensored documentary that we don't, we don't have. It's a special screening only for people on the inside. So either this is a lie and that's, a, that's an inconsistency calling that out, or it's very interesting that the, the, is the Hamas members somehow have this special screening video which would speak to some kind of overlap between Israel and Hamas that continues. Interesting, isn't it? I, I, I call, some, I, I think we're being lied to. Oh, and then this was just to point out that when you look up Deborah Cohen, who is the ant speaking, what you find is all of the same platforms, New York Times, CBS, just going, here's the truth, because she said so. Believe women, apparently means just don't even check anything. He doesn't look beaten up to me. So how do you claim he was lynched? Beaten up by everybody and with not even a mark on him. Sure sounds like it doesn't make sense, huh? Well, let's finish as I ended up going through this anyway, I guess. <laughs> we're going to finish with the statements from people that were kept in Israeli prisons. Here's, um, uh, uh, it's actually trans, uh, in uh, Hebrew. I think. Whichever language it is. Ahed Tamini, who is the one very well-known activist, was in Israeli occupation jail. Speaks about it. She says, we've got, we've got no food, no water, no clothes. We slept on a the floor. They threatened to kill my father who was languishing in Israeli prison. Yeah, sounds sounds same, right? Comfortable, food they need. No, it's the exact opposite. And this is the reality in Israeli prisons. Here's another one telling you this journalist and writer has been released saying they jailed, they jailers threatened her with rape and of locking her children up and burning them alive. The, the Shin Bet or FBI, you know, equivalent in Israel officer told her that nothing would make him feel better than they kill 50,000 children in Gaza. Israeli forces kidnapped at least 10 mothers from northern Gaza while they were evacuating to the south. They were tortured, isolated from the other female detainees. You know, and over here, they were kept in one big group. They could pray together. They were kept, I mean, it's obvious the difference, at least what we can prove. Here's another one. Palestinian, who was just released from Israeli prisons, testifies that he and the Zionist regime is subjecting Palestinian political prisoners to brutal treatment, including sexual assault and rape. That's exactly what's been proven in the past by Amnesty International, by any number of other by by United Nations. Here's a 12-year-old from the West Bank saying earlier today he was detained by the Israeli forces, and during his interrogation, they showed him a video of children being shot and killed. See? Now it becomes that they showed him the video. Interesting. Which, by the way, maybe obviously any one of these kids could be lying. The point is, we don't need their statements to prove this is happening. Here is a horrifying example. And I'll, I'll play this for you while I'm reading this. It says, we've all seen several videos of the smiling, healthy hostages Hamas released. Well, here's the damage Israel inflicts on its hostages while torturing them. No comparison, Israel is a terrorist organization, he writes. 
This is somebody who was released after I think what I think it was either 17 years, a really long period of time. Very long time held in their prisons. Look at this guy. They locked the door of the cell and tied my hands and feet. They moved me from one cell to another in the Negev prison, and I found myself here. In the cells, they tied my feet and set their dogs free to tear me to shreds. We are we're dealing with something especially bad, you know. I mean, it's just, and I'm talking about the Zionist government here, not anything else. But guys, this, I mean, this is vile. These are villains. The kind of there is no humanity. This is horrifying. And again, here's the United Nations making it very clear. Reports on the conditions of Palestinian prisoners and detainees in these prisons. I've already read this to you. Talking about the 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 illegal actions, 850,000 Palestinian civilians, including fifteen hundred women, grave the grave violation of relevant provisions of the Geneva Conventions, ten thousand children, sixty five elected members of the Palestinian Legislative Council. You know the ones they claim have equal rights under this fair democracy. Israel's arbitrary detention practices target all members of Palestinian society: children, youth, women, mothers, spouses, sick, disabled. Everyone knows this who has a heart and a brain. It's obvious. More than 6,500 Palestinians are currently imprisoned before October 7th in 22 Israeli occupation prisons. Guys, it's, just, it's horrifying. Under children detainees, guys, this is not... I've already read this all to you. Here's the Vox article, Why Israel Imprisons So Many Palestinians. It just gets into the horrifying reality. Administered detention without charge. Human rights group deemed this to be a violation, a blatant violation of international law. They just don't care. They just keep doing it anyway. The same thing I showed you about the horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of them in these detention centers. This is from November 8th, showing you that this has increased rapidly since October 7th. Torture. And this is from July 10th this year, telling you about their unlawful prison practices and the open-air prison that they've created. We just talked about this, the insidious narrative about Palestinian prisoners. And to ultimately end, here's an example of something before October 7th, just so you can understand that this is not a new situation. ...that has been seen around the world. One Israeli policeman pinning a young teen down, while the other repeatedly stomps on his head. They drag him away, motionless, but not before delivering one more brutal kick to his head. 15-year-old Tarek Abu Khader from Tampa, Florida, was held for three days without charges, then released. This morning, his face is still swollen. He has black eyes, stitches on his lip and deep marks from the plastic handcuffs. I remember this is the video that has been seen. Gosh, horrifying. Now, by the way, in the chat really quickly, KB Creations is mentioning that she was looking at my Twitter profile and it says just it's it says on the side of my profile. 
So let me know what you mean by that, KB. It says, of course, it's just a matter of time until Hamas hits small town America. That has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. There is literally no reason to think that that would ever happen. That's absurdly stupid. The idea that this group, I mean, anything's possible, of course, but the logic of this small group that's inside of an open-air prison that is actively fighting for one purpose, the self-determination of Palestine, is going to somehow go after, I mean, guy, this is as stupid as claiming Assad would bomb the one thing that would create the justification for them to take him out of power. It's stupid. But I want, KB, what you're saying, I'd like to know what you're referring to so I can look at that and report on it. I don't. I, want, I was hoping you didn't mean that it was on my Twitter file or my Twitter account, which would make me worried that we were hacked. But let me know what you mean, because I do think that's something they push. Don't forget, Trump was the one that said they come into the southern border. They're creating the narrative that somehow it's just the new boogeyman, and they're going to argue people like us are somehow being influenced and manipulated by them, and it's going to become a domestic terrorism focus. It's it is obvious what's happening. These people are being oppressed. That is what happened to this child a long time ago. And in case you think it's just a video, here it is on the Times of Israel. The cop who beat this child on the ground without any, with, pinning his head down in 2015, he got community service. That's it. Community service. And if you want to look further into this, there's a lot of, right? right his name is Tariq Abu Qadir. Oh, the U.S. was disappointed. You know why? He's an American. He's an American teen. No jail time for the Israeli cop that beat him within an inch of his life. This is a normal thing for them. And even caught on, caught on video where they're very clearly violating his rights, potentially killing the kid. And had they, had they killed him, they would have blamed it on something else. Just like they teach your cops to do in this country. The point is, all he got was community service, even though you can literally see that he's beating this kid up for no reason. That's the reality. Now, as Julia Nokas writes, just hypothetically, and I don't, there's parts of this that I disagree with, but let me read what she says. You're sitting at home in your cozy house and soldiers come in and throw you out, make you homeless, along with your parents, grandparents, and your children. A woman that you live with and your family is raped and your son is shot by the IDF. Then you realize your youngest son has disappeared into an internment camp with no care, more trial. There are no laws to address this at all. This misery goes on for family after family after family. The oppression is like slavery. So what do you do? You revolt. She says, you see the eyes? They are the eyes of care and compassion for the dispossessed. See these eyes and remember, in the same position, you would do the same. Now, there's parts I disagree with. I'm not going to pretend that every Hamas member is only fighting for free. That, that's as dumb as saying any other military is doing that. I can guarantee you there are corrupted members that want or there just to hurt people. I can guarantee you there are people that are still working on behalf of Israel and the United States. The point, though, is in some sense you have to acknowledge that the one, that Netanyahu funded this group into reality, or rather specifically into what they are in regard to Gaza and West Bank, using them in that way, funding them is for that purpose. And then being so brutally oppressive to the people that you drive them into support of this. And even then, many of them did not. And even today, we're talking about 17 years ago. So most of them alive today did not even have an option to vote for them. And the point is, what you understand is that there is an un, a, a justifiable reason that people would find themselves in legally protected armed rebellion. Not rape, not murder, 
the act of actual rebellion, which was protected under international law. The acts of crimes outside of that are crimes. Her point is that you the, 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 to frame all of this as some just they just want to kill Jews is the dumbest thing in this conversation because it's just not true in a broad sense. Somebody somewhere, sure, but to say that's what they're doing this for is it's it's obscenely ignorant. And Mario Narfall points out a heartbreaking video: children being trained to attack Israel, Gaza will never be able to change if they continue indoctrinating children. Was well, that what we're looking at? Let me explain. Let me ask you this. This is so what we're looking at is Hamas with children, with young children, looks like, you know, young teen, teen age kids, not, not toddlers, training them with weapons. So, what's different than that than literally any other government in the world that does this with their military, that does this with children, even the US, guys? Or how about Ukraine bringing in all the child soldiers? Or how about all these examples of Israel doing the same thing with young kids with grenades or guns. These kids are far younger than that video. I guess that doesn't matter though, because you're the righteous side. See how that works? We're doing this to train them how to fight terrorists. Over here, they're training to be terrorists. All that is, is perception and context. What you're looking at is people that grew up, just like she pointed out, in a brutal occupation who want to fight for their own self-determination. So there's only a few options. And again, just because you argue that them training to defend or act or even attack is somehow terrorism is just no different than what you're looking at here. But for him, it's a heartbreaking video. And this goes to what Net, uh, Netanyahu and Elon just talked about. As long as they continue indoctrinating children. So what do we need? Re-education camps. <laughs> it's just like they think we're that stupid. Maybe some people want that, but the point is you're literally over here going, look at all the Uyghurs and their re-education camps. Oh, it's terrible. What do we need? Re-education camps. People that do that are that stupid. That's who they're aiming this at, the lowest common denominator. The reality is just it's more complicated than pretending good guy, bad guy. But Narfal just regurgitates what he's told, so that's pretty obvious. Lastly, we'll finish with this clip from Dave, uh, Dave Smith in regard to this exact point. Right, People like this that can't wrap their mind around the fact that if this even is terrorism training, well, Netanyahu funded that. And it's their fault that they created, they drove this into reality. But that will never get discussed in this context. As he says, neocons call us Hamas sympathizers for opposing foreign aid to Israel. But the truth is Benjamin Netanyahu is the actual Hamas sympathizer. So we'll end it there. Obviously, I kept going. I, I ended up doing different reasons. My, my timing changed while I was here and I realized that I didn't have to rush off anymore. So I went through it, but apologies for changing the timing and making you think I was going to end sooner. But in regard, regardless guys, I think it's very obvious. I think everybody can very clearly, and I, and I, and I say that I do mean that I literally think everybody other than people that might just not be smart enough to put the pieces together, which always is part of the conversation. But I think everybody can see this. Even the people defending it are trying to defend it because they're taking a side. And I think, I think the reality of the situation is self-evident with the history, the research from previous groups. Again, at the times when they were pretending those are the groups that we were supposed to look to, to find out what Syria was doing. And at that time, they were saying Israel's committing war crimes. They're torturing children. They're arresting them without charge. And then a couple of years go forward, and that's fake news again. 
right? And now they start doing it in real time and we can see them because they're using it in response and we're not allowed to point at what has already been proven in the past. They've lost this. The information war has been lost. I actually said that in the first week. Israel has already lost the information war. I still stand by that. But that doesn't mean they're going to stop killing people, especially after this fake ceasefire goes away. So the real question, even as the United States is saying, well, we're not, we have to make sure we do something to protect them before you start bombing again. And Israel goes, we don't care what you're saying. That, that's what's happening. They are going to initiate the bombing campaign again, and they're going to force them to act this plan out where they, they forcefully displace them for the umpteenth time. Every part of this is illegal. Every part of this is immoral and wrong in every stretch of, in every possible way. And they know that. And now we have articles admitting that they are intentionally bombing civilians, you know, to scare them, to make sure that they know how bad this can get. That is terrorism. No matter how you look at this, it's time this gets called out. In fact, it's time that people do something about it. And I don't mean an international body somehow stepping over. My point is that the people of Israel already want change. Overall, we need to make sure that the criminals are accountable for their crimes. And that involves people like Netanyahu, who both allowed this to happen, but is also carrying out one of the most obvious genocides in history. So stand with the last American vagabond. Stand with the platforms out there that have the courage to, to strike this path and point it out. And say, left, right, up, down, war crimes. People that can't call it out are blind, are lying, or are too stupid to see it. We need to stand on this and be obvious about it because they're going to push past it. They're going to try to run right over the top of this and create some new narrative or some new event. And people will lose sight of it who are still kind of trapped in the paradigm talking points. But we're winning. Do not let this fall. Keep pushing the information. Let people see what they really are. As I said from the beginning, what the Zionist entity has been doing goes way beyond just Gaza. This is just a starting point. It's not just about Zionists. It is obviously something far more pernicious or far more nefarious and, I guess, surreptitious. Like the idea that it's happening all around us. It's constantly growing and building and it's it's tendrils and... and I think I'm trying to think of the octopus and its its arms are wrapped around everything sort of like the the cartoon of the black Aurelis going all the way back to the standard oil concept all right i very much believe that's the reality and i believe it's gotten bigger than just one country and we need to build on this to stop that because it does tie into the 2030 great reset who discussion which even in and of itself is much bigger than just health freedom we need to keep pushing and if you'd like to support our platform in doing so, and please find somebody objective and nonpartisan who support. But if you'd like to support our platform in doing so, there's links down below to do so. A lot of our different platforms, buy me a coffee, subscribe star, our autonomy program where you can take our objective research course, our Substack, or just literally mailing in a check, which seems like it might be our last vestige when we're this close to being censored. By the way, our Coinbase is still frozen, but I'm going to leave it for a moment because I believe I have a way around it. I don't want them to take a last step, but I will release this information at some point because people deserve to know what Coinbase is doing. But overall, it is going to get harder. We are going to get attacked more. So support us now. Help us grow. Help us get around that so we can build around, circumvent the kind of control structures that are being built. But at the very least, just share the content. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. 
is going to sound like a conspiracy theory if you haven't heard this before, but this is totally 100% true, was Benjamin Netanyahu's strategy for years to prop up Hamas, specifically because then there would be no negotiating a state for the Palestinians. Because no one in the international community is going to look at Hamas, this terrorist organization, and say, yeah, we recognize them. So the plan was to undermine the more secular Palestinian authority types so that they wouldn't be in control. Hamas would be in control. And then no one would ever negotiate their state. Oh, so just geez. to be clear here, this is and, – and by the way, I mean the you can find direct quotes from Benjamin Netanyahu saying this in his own words, saying that you must support Hamas. We must continue funding and support supporting Hamas so that they can never get a state, specifically for that intended reason. So basically what Benjamin Netanyahu did was for years prop up this terrorist organization and then fail to defend his people from them on October 7th. It's, it's mind-boggling to me that this element gets left out of the conversation in mm. America. But by the way, it's not left out of the conversation in Israel. Like their newspapers are all talking about this, how this plan blew up in his face.